0: The Muppet Show, Luke.
1: Welcome to the Star Wars Collector's Archive Podcast. It's the Vintage Pod, a monthly audio magazine dedicated to vintage Star Wars toys and memorabilia. Hosted by Sky Payne, Fudd, and Stephen B. Danley. Market data mined by Brisbane Brisbane Mike and Fratastic Pete with tech support by The Low Art. We open this month's issue with a 35-year-old breaking news story about the 1977 early bird set. We spend a lot of time discussing Luke's ESB fashion sense, Sky interviews Star Wars podcasting legend Jimmy Mack, as well as fanboys director Kyle Newman in our longest interviews ever. Chris Jogulius explains box flats and toy shop scrapbooks in our vocab, we limelight a couple of Best been Luke focuses, and our unloved item is filled with fragile banks. All this and somehow more on Vintage Pod. Wampa Wampa.
2: Welcome to the Vintage Pod, episode
1: number 37. That's right, folks. You, you may have noticed that, uh, well, Steve just said welcome to the Vintage Pod, and you may have noticed that the opening song is about 3 minutes and 47 seconds shorter, Steve. That's right. (laughs) Um, Yeah, there's a couple reasons for that. Uh, One is that uh, I'm like, you know, I got the new, uh, well, not new, but, you know, I got the the iTunes app, the podcast app, Steve.
2: Yeah, yeah, I just
1: got that, too. It's actually pretty sweet. It's awesome, and it has this button where you can hit forward 30 seconds. So I thought, why not get our intro down to 30 seconds? I'll get my recaps down to 30 seconds. And then if someone wants to skip right to the Wampa Wampa, they just hit it twice, and they don't have to deal with it. Sounds good, right?
2: So you're thinking ergonomically.
1: I'm thinking ergonomically. I'm thinking let's make this better for our listeners because most of the people who yeah. hear us have heard the show more than once. And for new people, all you really need to say is it's about vintage Star Wars toys and that's about it. <laughs> so Yeah, pretty much. Uh, so it's pretty streamlined and uh, you're, you're going to notice that we're also going a little bit more, even more towards the vintage pod uh, as our branding. Um, again, just this, this college humor hive website, Steve.
2: Right, right, but theirs is more the chive than the kive. But yeah, it's, but... It's spelling, yeah, so it totally whacks everything, so... Yeah,
1: totally. so it's, I just, you know, it just seems to make the most sense. Um, I would have loved to include more people's names in the beginning. Um, I had a whole list, you know, Swedish help by, archivist by, Jogulius name having by, but uh, <laughs> I, again, I had to keep it down to 30 seconds, so just, so just the, uh, the the named cast. Right. Um. So, yeah, so that's sort of the, the the newer, sleeker era of the Vintage Pod. Although, right. well, of course, you can still call it the Kivecast, but we'll, we'll probably not call it that too much from this point on just to try and make it more like, you know, it's what we really are, you know, because we're not really a Kive. We're the Star Wars Collector's Archive podcast. Right. Right? So it just happens to be that the Star Wars Collector's Archive podcast is an awfully long name. <laughs> <laughs> so, Steve... As we start every show, uh, we have the movie observation. So uh, for new listeners, this is where uh, I just think about something that happens in the movies and then Steve brings up something that he found while doing archival work on the scripts for the movie. And what's our figure of the month, Steve? It's uh, Luke Bespin. That's right. It's Luke Bespin. And so I was watching Empire today. I was actually really frustrating my kids because I was like sort of doing research, like looking up something about <laughs> Luke Bespin. And they, and they kept on asking me to, to just watch it and I kept on fast-forwarding and I was only listening to the commentary. <laughs> so, oh,
2: that's funny.
1: <laughs> they were so frustrated. But anyways, I was listening to the Blu-ray commentary and Luke, uh, Lucas was saying that the only reason that Yoda is on Luke's back is because of technical restrictions. And then ah. if, they, if they did it now, quote, he would have Yoda kind of bopping, alo- bouncing along with him. Oh,
2: no. Like David the Gnome? <laughs> I, I don't, who is David the Gnome? Oh, man. that's like a, this animated show from the 90s. I think it was from Spain, but it was on Nickelodeon. But that's what they did. They kind of bounced around everywhere.
1: Yeah, and I just – this made me think a lot. First of all, as a kid, I always thought the hardest thing about what Luke was doing was that he had Yoda on his back. Yeah, you know, I never really thought about it as like he's doing full flips and climbing up the ropes because I just assumed that all adults could do that. <laughs> and, and then I was thinking like, when you are a father, Steve, and and uh, you know, I I believe we owe you some felicitations, right?
2: Because you're you're
1: you're moving in with your lady friend, right?
2: That's right. It's it's done. Yeah, new so. new new uh, new recording studio here in West Hollywood. It's yeah. all good. Wow, West
1: Hollywood, huh? Mm-hmm. Wow, from the WeHo. Uh, yeah. A- a- anyway, so. Uh, you may know this feeling one day, Steve, of having a kid. They have like backpacks for your kids. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. And I would always walk around and I would constantly ask my infant children, is the dark side stronger? And, <laughs> and, and as they would grow up, I would feed them the lines. I'd be like, no, you're supposed to say no, quicker to join you in a fight, whatever the line is. So I I don't know. I guess my, my movie thought uh, is that. That's fun. So
2: was it, did it start as like an impulse or
1: uh, yeah, just because when you have someone on your back, like I just wanted. Well, first of all, I wanted to do a full flip. Um, that that's what happened to my first child. We don't talk about him anymore. Um, but uh, no, I'm just kidding. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I just it just you can't help it when you have someone on your back. You just think of him as Yoda, you know? Because when you're like us, Steve, just everything filters through Star Wars first. Yeah, yeah. So anyways, that's sort of my, my thought. Boy, am I <laughs> happy true. that they did not have digital technology because it made that scene really interesting. And one other, Steve, totally aside, why does Vader scream when Luke shoots steam in his face? It's not like he has skin, <laughs> right? Okay. All right. So that, that is nothing n- – neither here nor there. Now, Steve, you are a an official archivist with the American Film Institute. Is that correct? Not
2: the – no. It's the Writers Guild Foundation. Okay. Close. Okay, so cool. Uh, so,
1: so you get privileged access to the earliest and the most interesting drafts of all the Star Wars scripts. So, so what have you uncovered this month for Steve? Flips the script.
0: It's getting really, really hot
2: here. Flip the script. Flip the script. So this month I figured uh, I didn't have anything specific for, for Luke Bespin, but uh, I thought since Valentine's Day just had. Happened that we exchange. Um, this is from scene 29. It's from the 1978 draft for Empire. And, uh, okay. <laughs> it's right after Luke is healed in the, in the back done and all that. All right. And um, so Luke says to Leia, uh, Leia, do you know how I feel about you? And then, <laughs> uh, in, in parentheses, Lawrence Kazan writes in his handwriting, uh, She does, care it, and it's confusing. So I thought that was just the best, like, script note. Uh, That's funny. And they didn't even really have an answer for her there. She just kind of...
1: (laughs) Right. She does, and it's confusing. Wow, I I would say that's true, Steve. Yeah. Wow, another excellent uh, uh, script flipping. Well, well, don't worry, Steve, because uh, on the other side of the news drop, you know, that's when we've been doing our card back observations, and Steve, I am rip-roaring ready to go on Luke Bespin Fatigue's. So, uh, should should we hit the news? All right, Steve. So, uh, you know, you're you're in your new WeHo Studios. I'm still by the beautiful uh, banks of the Erie Canal, but uh, it sounds as though you may be having a little bit of a technical difficulty. We're going to work that out. Okay. Um, But, you know, this is the show where the guys from Rebel Force Radio are going to be on, Steve, so... Uh, our sound quality has to be the absolute best, man. Just no <laughs> failures, because anyways. Uh, uh, we're in trouble, then. Yeah, we're, we're in trouble. Uh, you, you can't stop who you are. So anyways, the cardback observation, Steve. So everyone's right. thinking. Okay, not everyone's thinking. That's like a totally blowhard way to start a sentence. Uh, you would imagine that if I'm talking about the Luke Bespin card back, what would, what would my subject be, Steve? Walking versus pointing. Right. We'll get to that during okay. a market watch. I have a beef, Steve, a serious beef with the term that is used on the Kenner card back. Ooh. Do you know what they call him, Steve? Do
2: you know what they say? They say, Luke, what do they say after that? Is it the Bespin fatigues or is it outfit? I always get some mixed up. Bespin fatigues. It is fatigues. All right.
1: Okay, let's think about this term, Bespin fatigues, because we're going to see it is sorely lacking. First of all, in the Star Wars (laughs) Blu-ray that I just looked at and tortured my children with, it's called Luke's tan costume. And we're going to see that that's actually probably the best name for it, okay? but Let's look at this term, Bespin Fatigues. All right. Word by word. First word, Bespin. Where does he first wear it, Steve? Dagobah. Where does he wear it for most of the movie? Dagobah. Right. And and I was watching this, right? I was obsessively watching his outfit. And it totally changes the way you see the whole Dagobah sequence. First of all, (laughs) so he shows up and he's wearing the the X-Wing outfit. And then... He just appears right. to pop out of his X-Wing in his in his tan costume. And I don't know if there's like a dressing room in the cockpit of the X-Wing. I don't know if he changed his clothes in the middle of, of the swamp. You know, he always feels like he's being I think he just went behind a tree, you know? Yeah, he probably <laughs> just went behind a tree. But anyways, uh, and so does he wear it underneath his flight suit though? Or, or does he have it like in a little bag behind there? And yeah. then they, then I start thinking about how most of that time actually he's wearing this sleeveless T-shirt, which I figure had to be put in the contract for him to be like, I've been really working out, man. <laughs> and then I noticed one other thing, Steve, about the, the Bespin fatigues, the so-called Bespin fatigues. Do you know what's the last thing that Luke does before Yoda lifts up the great X-Wing scene? Oh, uh, let's see. He puts that jacket back on? Yeah, he puts his shirt back on. And then he flops down and goes, like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen that. (laughs) So anyways, there's like super heightened attention on his clothes, okay? So we've established that he wears them on Bespin, but they are just as much Dagobah as they are Bespin. And After all, they're tan. They're the swampy color of Dagobah. Everything else that's Bespin is nice, clear, clean colors, which we'll get into with with Leia and and, uh, Han. Let's get into this term, fatigues, Steve. Now, of course, I'm a French professor, so I love the idea of, of fatigues, which comes from the French word fatigue or fatigue, uh, which actually means it's a military term, Steve. And I looked this right. up to be precise. It, is, it okay. is, according to the American Heritage Dictionary, the uniform or work clothing worn by military personnel during manual or menial work or in the field of battle. Now, does Luke... Is he wearing those uh-huh. because he's doing manual labor for the military? Is he in battle, Steve? Or, as <laughs> I posit, are these just yeah. Luke's clothes? I think that's what it should say on the card back Luke. <laughs> and then in parentheses, in his clothes. Because there's no military. If it uh, has to be fatigues, it has to be <laughs> military. So, what is it? Is it the rebellion? Have you ever seen anyone else in the rebellion wear those weird, multi-pocketed tan su- jumpsuits? No. Is he a part of the Tatooine military? Well, maybe that'd be the right color, but I don't think Tatooine has a military, right? So, Steve, that's I, I doubt all, it. I got all worked up, Steve. Are you with me that there's just this is just not this you know, this will not stand, man. This is like not okay. Bespin fatigues. Anyways, when you when you look at the, the foreign the foreign card backs. Uh, I'm with you on that. The foreign card backs, we have the French uh, who call it the tenue bespin, which is like bespin wear. Um, The Spanish Empire Strikes Back card back just calls it Luke and then in parentheses Bespin. I like that one actually. That one's okay because he at least wears it in Bespin. And then the Return of the Jedi Spanish is Uniforme Bespin. So anyways, that's that's, that's my card back observation. And I say we either call it Luke in his clothes or (laughs) – Luke in his tan costume, because that's really what it is. It's a, it's a tan costume. And uh, at some point, too, we should probably probably mention the fact that uh, he wore it a lot in, in pre-movie release stuff. Right, Steve?
2: Yeah, that's true. A lot of those publicity photos, he's wearing that.
1: And I just think that's so cool. Like, he wore it uh, for the Muppets, right? Yeah, that's right. The, the weird. Someday we'll have to have a whole episode about the Muppets episode where Chewbacca's not wearing his bandolier strap because <laughs> um, still to this day, I can't watch it without feeling like embarrassed. Like, dude, he's not wearing any clothes. He's got to have the strap on. Um, and, uh, that didn't come out right. Uh, yeah. And he also wore it for the Jim O'Fix It segment, um, which we talked about a couple months ago, Steve, right? That's right. Yeah. It was a couple months ago. Yeah. It was, it was a British show about a guy who gave kids their deepest wish, uh, come true. And, uh, it was recently found out that he was a pedophile. Lovely. Lovely. Thanks, Luke, for bringing the kids right to the mouth of the alligator. But anyways, he could have known. Um, British listeners may email us at thevintagepod at gmail.com. Uh, if they do not like our representation of Jim will fix it. Uh, that's our new email, Steve. The Thevintagepod at gmail.com. Now, if you send one to the old one, we'll still get it. So don't, don't feel angry if you're a, an old-fashioned curmudgeon and you absolutely have to send it to the, to the old one. We understand. But, whew, Steve, you know, it doesn't matter if you have a problem with your, uh, with your connection because I'm just going to talk the whole time. <laughs> well, Steve, you know, I've been all riled up. And, and I'm excited because I know the whole Star Wars world is abuzz with this new, really vital information about the Star Wars saga, Steve. And I think we all know what we're talking about. With episodes 7, 8, and 9 coming out, the biggest question that's been on everyone's mind is, did Sky and Steve find out? about the actual negative publicity for the Star Wars early bird set from Christmas 1977? Oh, did we? (laughs) Oh, did we? So that's what you call, Steve, a comedic misdirection. That's right. I thought we were going to be talking about J.J. Abrams. We'll get to J.J. Abrams. But this, for us, you see, if you're wondering what the vintage pod is all about, J.J. Abrams is great and very interesting and wonderful. But we found out this information in which we had read somewhere that there was this negative press about... The, the early bird certificate giveaway package. And we just said, oh, I don't know. Does anyone have any proof of that? And who came through, Steve? Our Canadian champion of the know-it-alls.
0: This season on Canada's
1: greatest
2: know-it-all, Scott
1: Bradley, Bradley. <laughs> That's right. The Canadian know-it-all, uh, Scott Bradley. Uh, yep. And I don't know if I'm going to put his drop in. I did just create it last month, but I feel like we're a little bit drop-heavy this month. But uh, I think what we should do, Steve, we should read some excerpts from these amazing, just attacks on the early bird package system. That's right. Uh, well, actually, the first is is the most is the most friendly. That's from the UPI Press. What does that one say, Steve? Right, so this
2: one it's uh, telling about the early bird packages being delivered by February fifteenth. They sold for about ten uh, yeah, dollars.
1: That's this month. That's February right. February fifteenth. So you know every February fifteenth. Technically, is the birthday of kids having Star Wars toys in their hands. So I'm thinking maybe that could be like Kenner Day. What do you think, Steve? Can hey. we start that for next year?
2: I I like that. I like Kenner Day for that. That sounds good. Right, because for um, Valentine's Day. So, um, so the article goes on to say that adults seem interested in having the figurines for themselves too. We've had a 26-year-old engineering student calling us and asking how soon they'll be ready. oh it's so
1: great. Like, can you believe it? Yeah. A 26-year-old is interested in Star Wars toys? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't know how
2: that really seems plausible. <laughs> yeah, I
1: know. Uh, it's, yeah. Anyways, uh, that, that's a, a great line. The New York Times, now they had a much net more negative spin, and you can see the way that newspapers go because instead of saying they cost around $10, they say costing up to $15. <laughs> and uh, they said that the, the certificates were sold out in Chicago and New York. And, uh, Steve, what's the quote from one of the New York toy stores? Uh,
2: it's, we sell toys, not promises. That's just classic.
1: <laughs> yeah, we sell toys, not promises. How did that work out for you, toy store? Betting against Star Wars. Does that work out <laughs> for you? Not, not too well, I don't think. <laughs> and then there's the Knight Ritter uh, press service, which referred to it as a toy caper. Yeah. And this is amazing. <laughs> I mean, they... Steve, I, I'm just, I'm just going to have to read this out here. So yeah. they refer to this as, quote, the Christmas certificate caper. And this is an actual quote from the article. Jeez, it was as if Darth Vader had turned in his black cape to pursue a career as a psychologist. And the guinea pigs were America's wide-eyed kids, anxious for little yuletide yippee, but coaxed instead into a bit of delayed gratification experimentation. I mean, that's, wow, that's beautiful writing, Steve. <laughs> and yeah. I love the idea of Darth Vader therapist. Um, <laughs> yeah, I do. Too. <laughs> you know, without the cape, I mean, you could you could do that. I don't know if there's something our artists could do with Darth Vader therapist. Um, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, just the whole idea about it as being an experiment of a delayed gratification experimentation. So let's put this out to our listeners. Email us uh, the Vintage Pod at. at <laughs> TheVintagePod <laughs> at gmail.com. Do you have an actual memory of waiting for the early bird package? Because, I mean, a lot of people have memories of the Bosque or of the Forlom or whatever. But I'm curious if anyone actually had that feeling of waiting from Christmas 77 to February. Um, I mean, I'm sure lots of people had it, but we don't know anyone.
2: Yeah. yeah, yeah, that would be great to get some some feedback mm-hmm. on that.
1: Yeah, and then what's great about this article is it actually took place – it was written later. So it talks about how the first 12 figures were put out. Um, It mentions how they are under four inches high but anywhere from 2 to $5 in price.
3: Mm -hmm. Um,
1: So that was like this great thing saying, can you believe they're only four inches and they cost $5? (laughs) (laughs) And and then they go on to say, though Kenner was pleased with the success of the certificate approach to marketing – Believed to be the first of its kind in the, in the toy industry, there are no plans to repeat the strategy, because they say later this is no way to win friends and influence wookies. And <laughs> it course, was misspelled. Yeah, that's yeah, right. <laughs> just just one e uh, on, yeah. on the wookies. So, anyways, thank you so much to Canada's greatest know-it-all, uh, Scott Bradley, for finding those articles, and I just I love that as a view into the way it was seen. And it really was. Yeah. I mean, it was cynical, and it was. But on the other hand, it worked, right? It's not like they actually ripped them no, no. off.
2: No, no, it was. Uh, I'd say it worked quite
1: well. Yeah, so I think that the Night Ritter maybe owes them an apology. Um, although I always thought that was Night Rider, <laughs> so I just got it Yeah, up. I thought
2: that was maybe a typo by you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I used to work in PR a little bit, and that's that's like you know Associated Press or whatever. Okay. All right, Steve. So, what's the secondary news in Star Wars this month?
2: Yeah, the secondary, I guess, would be that they they uh, announced a director for the first new movie. That'd be J.J. Abrams, um, which I, you know, I'm okay with. I don't, I don't, I'm, I guess, I don't get too worked up about it yet. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, who knows? But uh, I don't know. What do you think?
1: You know, I'm sort of split. I don't have okay. an opinion. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> I'm sort of split. Part of me. Really didn't want somebody who loved Star Wars. Yeah, and I know that sounds weird, but like to me, the worst idea in the world was you know Kevin Smith, right? Like I don't want someone who's in love with it because yeah. that's something that I liked about. I don't know, like, but then you know the, Dave Filoni, the guy who does the Clone Wars, does a great job, and he's you know a cosplayer, so I wasn't quite sure about that. But then I realized I like the idea of J.J. Abrams because I like Lost. Okay. And the reason it makes me happy is that the thing I think Lucas is underappreciated for, Steve, is he is amazingly withholding. Like, a- as much as he is an artist who gives the public what they want. He is yeah. an artist who withholds from them things they want very, 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 very badly.
2: <laughs> That's uh, one way to put it.
1: <laughs> and, and, I mean, the prequel trilogy is the best example, but even before that, you know, I mean, you just the whole idea that you never got to see Vader kicking ass or anything like that. And if you look at Lost, um, even though he wasn't that involved towards the end, but still, there's that sense of, like, I'm the artist and not everything's going to be answered and you may not like that, but... It's okay because I'm the artist, you know. Right, right. Um, so, in general, I would say I'm positive. I don't care if he did Star Trek; that doesn't
2: bother me. Uh, no, I, that didn't bother me at all. Did you? I mean, I, I maybe, mean, maybe I'll go under the under the uh, bus here for saying I actually like that Star Trek movie that he did.
1: But, yeah, uh, yeah, no, that was I fun. Mean,
2: yeah, I mean, yeah, it was a fun movie. So I, I figured uh, it's a good sign. At least,
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think the thing is, is that he's already a very good filmmaker, and I love Super Eight. A lot of people didn't like it. Oh, yeah, oh, I
2: love Super Eight. Um, that's it's a great movie.
1: And there were star and there were vintage Star Wars toys in there.
2: Yeah, yeah, they had right? that ET flavor. Yeah, that's right.
1: Yeah, but we talked about that. There was actually Star Wars toys in Super Eight. Um, yeah. So maybe we can get him on the show. I don't know. I wonder if he's getting a lot of calls for interviews now. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I, I, I would say in general, that's I would say if if he could see this as his chance to make his masterpiece, um, that, that'd be pretty cool because I, I think he he has you know more more in him you know as opposed to if they'd gone with Spielberg or something where you know Spielberg's yeah. great but he's never going to get better than Jaws you know that kind of thing. Um, yeah, to, you're right. To, to give a film snob answer, Steve, I know that you're becoming such a Hollywood hot shot now, but. Uh, <laughs> Did you know J.J. Abrams personally, now that you're... Oh, you're oh yes, yeah. yeah. Quite quite, quite well.
2: <laughs> uh, um, oh, man. What else is there, Steve? Uh, well, I guess, I don't know if there was any real credit to this or not, but I saw uh, an article about Harrison Ford being the first of those names to actually, like, be confirmed to be in one of the new movies, which I kind of thought was funny. But <laughs> yeah, I got a curmudgeon that he he's usually known to be... <laughs>
1: Yeah, I have to say, I would actually prefer him not to be in the movie. That's, that's just me. I just and I like Harrison Ford, but I just I I yeah. don't know. It's I just, I just nightmares of uh, Kingdom of the Skull or whatever.
2: Oh man! Oh yeah, you're absolutely right. I, I just
1: I don't want the whole thing just to be him staring at the camera, being like, "I am old,"
2: you know. <laughs> but,
1: yeah, but anyways, it's all it's all still excitement from uh, oh, yeah. a couple a couple months ago. And oh right, remember how last month we said this was going to be a, a roundtable episode, Steve?
2: Yeah, yeah, we did say that.
1: Well, the main reason we said that was that Rob Amantea wanted to come in and sort of talk about micro stuff. But he's sort of like pushing his book like along, so we're going to have a, a micro roundtable. I promise you guys we're going to have a micro roundtable. It's going to be a huge, long-awaited thing. It's going to be better than episode seven, um, but uh, we're not going to do that now. So uh, – <laughs> but anyways, when, when we had this interview with the with the folks at Rebel Force Radio, I think that's going to be like a little mini roundtable anyway. Okay. So, but this isn't it, Steve, as far as the the news in the vintage world. Not only did we find out about the early bird package stuff, but what about this find, Steve?
2: So there was a uh, a new Uze or Uzai. Wait, we had this told to us.
1: <laughs> Steve, it, I had the same thought. I'm like, we officially. Oh, Uzai, right? Uzai. Uzai. That's
2: like what I remember us learning steve, we're <laughs> this to so look so it great up. of a student okay. I am the vintage
1: pod at gmail.com go back in our old episodes where we told you how to pronounce that properly listen yeah. i'm just trying to keep Jorgulia straight you know that, that's, that's right. enough but I, I believe it was uzai yeah um, but yeah so let's just call it uze cuz that's how everyone knows it the amazingly okay. rare turkish bootlegs from the late 1980s and and what is
2: this steve so it looks like a huge uh, you know, a lot of them turned up uh I think at the as a result of an estate sale or it was someone that had passed away and someone found them in a storage unit and it's just an astounding set of them. Um and it's great because they were it's it's from an old, I guess, childhoodish collection, no, not childhood but original collection. Right. And this is uh, posted by from uh, by Turk Delit. I think it just goes by Turk. Yeah, well, probably uh-huh. like Turk
1: Delight. This is meat, right? Oh yeah yeah so this is the guy who told us how to pronounce Uzai correctly and then he yeah. also told us how to pronounce his name correctly <laughs> and I don't know if it was meta or Meet or mita so we also did that wrong so uh meet meta Mita, Uzai U uh, the vintage pod <laughs> at gmail.com um yeah so so he got these and it's uh, it's an amazing collection it's uh, how many is that ten U yeah, figures. Of them. ten of them that's right and oh. see, one of them had never been seen before? All right, so it has the light-caped uh, Emperor's Royal Guard, which is apparently the only one he knows of carded. Oh, wow. Um, the alternative card-back Chewbacca, which I don't have. Ah, um, uh, yeah. So just, just throwing that out there for other people who find Turkish um, Turkish things. What's well, cool, you know, the, the Turkish Chewbacca's one says Aslan Adam and that's the one that's more common with the gourd, and that just means Lion Man. And then one says Miyamam Adam, which means Monkey Man, and that's the rarer one. <laughs> okay. And also a really good Rolling Stone song off uh, Let It Bleed. Um, but, uh, yeah, and then there's the TIE Fighter pilot, which is insanely rare. Have you ever seen one of those, Steve? I
2: was going to say, I don't remember ever seeing one of those, uh, especially at least the, the card back like that. No, I don't, I don't remember. Right. But yeah.
1: And then there is the ATAT driver with the gold rocks background, which apparently mm. was only ever seen in a Tomart article published decades ago. And I
2: that is just crazy. I
1: think that was the thing that Joe was hinting to us that he knew existed but that he couldn't confirm or talk to us about. Okay. I don't know. I know that Joe was out of it for a while. People have been asking when are we gonna throw a brick through his window? Um, we're going to do that when Joe's ready because uh, it seems like he's, uh, kind of getting back in the swing of things and we, we look forward to talking to him about this and many other things, but yeah, I mean, yeah. this is just an, an amazing find. I mean, uh, just as far as, just as far as dollar amounts.
2: Oh yeah. yeah for sure. It's gotta be, I mean, well, this is at I least didn't want to think about it.
1: <laughs> probably a, Thirty thousand dollar fine, if not that, if not more, I don't know. It's uh, well, I guess depending on whether or not Joe's bidding on them. <laughs> but yeah, that's true. Yeah, it really, really is, an, an, and I there's even the Imperial Gunner, of course, with the the famous uh, calculator, and there's a Blue Stars, and
2: yep. yeah,
4: yeah, it's uh, crazy, a, a
1: truly amazing find. And again, part of the reason why we wanted to do the vintage pod, Steve, was that you know these stories they They do go forgotten, you know in three years, people are going to not remember this that clearly, and so I really love the idea of of people going back and we're going to get to this in the feedback section that a lot of people do go back and listen to our old our old issues uh and they say, "Oh, that's cool, I didn't know about that, and you can say, "Oh, this is yeah. where those ouzes came from um or oo so yeah, that was just huge news. I haven't even posted on there because. <laughs> I just don't know what to say um, besides you – know, the first thing he says is don't contact me about these items. And the collector in me is like, OK, but can I contact you about these items? Uh, but you no, know, I, uh, I don't have the, the spendable income. And then Steve, you also posted something about a vintage photo contest. Uh, what, what's that, Steve?
2: Yeah, so um, rather childish uh, on Rebel Scum. He's done this now two years in a row. He's done a, a photo contest fe- featuring the, uh, the vintage toys. And um, I don't know if you had a chance to look at some of the finalists for this. But they're really great. Um, I did.
1: And, and I have to say, too, that we actually – by we, I mean I uh, – steal his images quite often for our enhanced <laughs> podcasts. Um, oh, yeah? <laughs> and again, in case you don't know what enhanced podcast is, it means there's images on your iPhones just because people ask me that every month. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, because, you know, I'll just sort of do a, a picture search for something. And, oh, I see
2: what you mean. Yeah, just for the, any for character. Is, or... Yeah,
1: he has all these great images. Um, yeah, yeah. So yeah. Yep, the right. winner is Stefan Stéphane, Stéphane Foucault from, oh, uh, cool. from the, the writer of the Meccano. Uh, well, I assume that's the same Chic Tabac from Paris, France. Um, uh, probably, right? <laughs> right. But, yeah, no, he, he did a really cool picture of all the vintage figures uh, from the the Ewok storytelling scene uh,
2: yeah.
1: Uh, around a fire. And it's got awesome. this really good lighting. Um, and uh, I don't know. I I like that one. I was tempted to vote for the Wampa one just because, you know, we're the Wampa, yeah. Wampa
2: podcast. Yeah, I know. That's true.
1: But yeah, that that's really cool. And I think that we should, uh, I think in the future, we should really, you know, do more like this. Oh, look at that. You know what? You know, what he just posted last thing was was Luke Bespin. Oh, really? Yep. So, cool. there you go. That'll be the actual image that we take uh, and and use as our main image for the enhanced podcast, uh, unless deal. he asks us not to. <laughs> but we just gave him so much free advertising, Steve.
2: Yeah, I think so. I yeah, we'll be okay.
1: <laughs> yep, ratherchildish.wordpress.com, um, and that's uh, and I think I'm pretty sure there's more room for this kind of thing just high quality photographs of
2: his uh, you know we should interview him steve that'd be good yeah no he's he's california he's he's part of the, the club and we haven't had a chance to get to a meeting yet but um yeah it's, it'd be great to have him on yeah how about a limelight steve always room for that
1: So, this month, I thought it would be. Well, I say I thought it would be. I think you actually did most of the work, Steve. So, how about we thought it would be a cool idea um, if we sort of showed an old limelight that doesn't exist anymore? That is to say, the collection is broken up. And then a new limelight uh, that was put together, you know, sort of more recently to just kind of show the variety and the fact that, you know, even though there are these great old legendary runs, uh, new runs can be made. So, w- what's the old run, Steve? So
2: the old run we have is uh, Jim McCallum's Luke Bestman proof card series, and I see he's got oh, it's like a dozen of them. Um, yeah. It's pretty remarkable. Um, starting with the uh, thirty-one back, just the regular walking photo, and then tons of the uh, the Empire with the pointing, and then the Jedi and power of the force. I mean, it's just an incredible. It's just crazy to think these were all together at one time and now they're not it's yeah. just stuff yeah. but
1: and actually when i was up in toronto uh once i went to go visit him oh cool uh, it's one of my things i want to get all the collectors books signed by the people who wrote them and jim yeah. mccallum wrote the book on canadian star wars collecting um so for that period of time he was canada's greatest know-it-all well um, i don't think he collects star wars anymore so he's he's bumped down to canada's <laughs> greatest know-it-all about comic book art um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, he had even more than that at that point. And it, it was just, oh, wow. uh, yeah, it, it's, it's a really impressive run. And you see something like this and you just think, well, that's it. Forget it. I, I can't. There's just nothing else I can do because how would I ever have an awesome collection? But fortunately, Steve, from the area of Australia that is well known as Brisbane or Brisbane, because I also forgot how to pronounce <laughs> that in the last month, uh, there's Brisbane Brisbane Mike's uh, Luke Bespin Focus.
2: Yeah, no, it's uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, he's got he's got a great uh, deal of stuff here too. It's and it's just all within the last, I guess. Um, well, I guess since two thousand five, he started putting this together, right? Um, but yeah, it's. I mean, it's got carded stuff, foreign stuff. But, um, but no, so. he said
1: that most of this is from the last couple of years. Okay, yeah, that's right. Yeah. and so we'll include a link to it. Yeah, and he's got pre-production. He's got uh, a proof and. He's got two QC samples, you know, quality yeah, you know, it's, samples.
2: It's funny. Like, I'm just wondering. I used to have a Luke Bestman Quality Control sample that was with that card back. I wonder. No, I it's not mine. This one I think is graded. But it looked just like that. It's so funny. It could have been graded after you sold it, Steve. Maybe, but it doesn't. Those things are, are wicked rare. But, yeah. Well, yeah, that's true. But yeah, that's cool. Yeah.
1: So yeah, so you can kind of take a look at it and just sort of see that as much as it feels like, oh, you can never put together a great character run of such an important character as, as Luke uh, Dagobah Bespin. Uh, Luke. <laughs> Luke, Luke. Luke in his tan clothing. <laughs> yes, Luke in his tan uniform. Um, <laughs> or beige Luke, right? Or, hey, uh, swampy Luke. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, and I like too that he's got it mixed up with you know he's also got some prop replicas and I think those used judiciously can look nice in a collection. So he's got the lightsaber and the the prop uh, the prop blaster and yeah, yeah. It's, uh, oh. so it's uh, I think those those are two good limelights uh, for the for the figure of the month. I mean, if, of course the the Uze counts as a limelight, but that's sort of yeah. beyond comprehension. That's more of a, of a devastating find. <laughs> So uh, with that, Steve, I think now would be the good time to yak to some faces. Um, so last, last month I said right. I was going to talk to the folks at the Rebel Force Radio, and you heard the Price is Right loser sound, um, but they've been back in contact, and I'm really excited, Steve, because I'm, be, uh, I'm also going to be talking to uh, the guy who directed Fanboys. So oh, great. Cool. I'll get to tell him the story about uh, one of our first Hangouts.
2: Awesome. Are you gonna are you gonna uh, dig out them about the Chewbacca biopic? <laughs> oh yeah. You better do that. It's your chance.
0: <laughs> yeah, you're
1: right. Wow, Steve. I have all these questions written down, but they're all about like vintage toys and stuff. I, I
2: had not really thought of that. <laughs> see, I'm thinking for your greater Star Wars good, right I see, now. Oh, you, you would love it, Steve.
1: I wrote out this whole like list of things that I wanted to talk to them about, and I'm like, I hope I don't scare them away. <laughs> I have like like all these subheadings like the general themes of which I wish to discuss <laughs> oh man i'm i'm you know i'm a i'm a podcast fanboy so this is like uh this is pretty exciting so anyways uh let's uh let's move on to that and Steve, I don't know this might last five minutes this might last two and a half hours i don't know so uh it'll it'll be exciting to find out
3: Jackety-yak, To my face. You, don't know that.
1: All right. Well, I'm here with Jimmy Mack. How's it going, Jimmy Mack?
0: Great, Sky. Fantastic to be here. So happy to talk to you.
1: Yeah, I I really wanted to really spread this idea to our listeners because a lot of the folks that listen to our show, um, I don't know, they, they tend not to like listen to the more involved stuff about the movies. And I, I want to tell them that what you guys have going just is the best. And it's uh, it's you guys are now independent and you are Rebel Force Radio.
0: Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Now, why do you think it is that vintage collectors would possibly avoid listening to a podcast that is concerned with current Star Wars news?
1: That is exactly the the big theme I, I wanted to talk to you about, Jimmy, uh, because it's re- it's really interesting. I mean, I remember back, I think it was celebration four, and uh, you know, every celebration up until celebration six, I would make these uh, exclusive T-shirts, uh, and I would give them to the the what I call the vintage community. You know, like the people who I know who collect these things, and I gave. I gave a T-shirt like this to you guys, you know, it was like to you, and I think Pete was still – is Pete still hosting the show too? I, I don't know. point is I gave it to everyone there who's aff- affiliated with your show. Right. And I said I normally give these to the vintage community. And then I was kind of horrified because a couple weeks later I was biking on my way to school and I heard you talk about it. And you were like, what does that mean, vintage <laughs> community? <laughs> <laughs> so so what, what did you mean in that reaction to my obnoxiously snobby comment? How, how did that oh, make you feel? Okay.
0: Well, for stars, I remember I remember that moment like it was yesterday All right. and you certainly were not snobby oh, in any okay. way, shape or form. <laughs> uh, you gave us these great shirts that were um, parodies of the Turkish Uze uh, action figure releases. I, I, I almost hesitate to call them bootlegs right because they are so legendary right. among collectors. But um, that's what they were sort of uh, a parody of in the style of, and I thought they were the coolest things in the world. Um, and you even spelled Star Wars like uh, they did on the Turkish packaging. That's with right. these stars. War. <laughs> now, what's funny is I was wearing that uh, T-shirt one time at my parents' house, and my mom is a Southern Belle from northern Mississippi. Okay. And she looked at that shirt, and she said, Jammy you bought a shirt that's flawed. It says <laughs> Stars War. Oh. And I said, no, "Mom, it's supposed to be that way. She goes, well, that is just ridiculous. <laughs> so I had to ex- actually explain your T-shirt to my mom. And I remember wow. when you handed us the shirt, you said, nobody outside the vintage Star Wars collecting community has this shirt. Right, And so I'm like, you're saying I'm outside of the Star Wars vintage collecting community? I was there in the 70s. Right. I was there when the vintage collecting community was new. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, That was just a joke. I totally understand what you're talking about. And your involvement in Star Wars... Collecting vintage collecting is is something that I I'm, I would never uh, want to diminish in any way, shape, or form. I really appreciate all that you guys do to maintain all of the little pieces of Star Wars merchandising history that you've been able to dig up over the years. Everything from all the the prototypes to the uh, the card backs to the original artwork for those card backs and everything in between and beyond. It's so cool to go on like Gus's site and check out all of the great little hidden gems that you have to search out if you're a Star Wars vintage collector. Now, me on the other side of the coin, when it comes to collecting vintage, I'm more about Filling in all the empty spots in my collection itself, right. and that all started with what I consider to be the backbone of Star Wars collecting, which is the original Kenner vintage action figure release. Right. And yeah. I was I uh, spent years and years trying to build up a complete collection of that, and I'm happy to say I finally do have one. Nice. Uh, but uh, but that's just all I meant by that was. I was in the vintage collecting community when it was new. Right, and it, back when it was modern. <laughs> right, right. So I was just kind of being a, a smart ass with you about that comment, but it's something that I appreciate. Vintage collectors adapt to modern collecting too is something that's really interesting. Some guys just don't want to have anything to do with it. Right. Other guys want to collect it all. Um, I think you're somewhere in the middle there a little bit. I know you got the chewseem. Yep. So, uh, you know, Chewbacca is obviously your focus along with other vintage things. But like, do you expand to collect things like prototypes that are non Chewbacca?
1: Well, you know, it's funny because when you, when you are so focused on one character, there, there reaches a point where you just have to be patient. And, uh, as you may know, as a collector, patience is not, it doesn't really exist. <laughs> so no, I, mean. I, I wound up like going into little other areas. Like I, I also love the emperor, uh, for the opposite reason that I love Chewbacca. So I had like a little emperor thing going and, I have like a little thing with a certain Empire Strikes Back twenty one backs, but that's just to kind of like every once in a while I notice there is too much money in my bank account. I am like, I got to get something vintage, <laughs> so uh, that's uh, that's how I usually wind up spending it. But it, it is true, and I mean, and to go back to your to your question, why is it that that a lot of vintage collectors, you know, wouldn't listen to Rebel Force Radio? Um, and again, I, I really suggest I, I, I think it may change, to be honest, because I think, and I was, we're hopefully going to be talking to Kyle Newman soon. Um, I think a lot of it goes down to that final moment of fanboys. You know what I'm talking about, Jimmy?
0: When they're sitting in the theater watching episode one?
1: Right. And so the the final line of the movie uh, is, of course, what if the movie sucks? Right. And I'm pretty sure, and I can't wait to talk to Kyle about this, but that's what happened, in my opinion, to the whole Star Wars community, is that that exact moment there was a division and, like, you know, I would say, I don't know, half went one way and the other half went the other. And for some reason, it seems as though most of the people who collect vintage figures, like really heavily, like they get so into it that it's not even that they hate the prequels. They often don't even particularly watch the the movies themselves. Like it's just sort of like a like an abstract thing. Like, you know, a lot of stamp collectors don't care about the post office, you know. (laughs) Um, So (laughs) I I think it, it turns that way a little bit. And then I think just the sort of the, the weird interplay between the, the fanboy and sort of the, the older school fan. I, I, I don't know. I, I think there's too much of a rift there. and I, I really think it, it needs to be mended and maybe it will be in, in the future.
0: Yeah, that's kind of unfortunate. One time I was talking to Gus and Duncan and I said to him, guys, what's more important to you as a Star Wars fan? Is it the story or is it the collecting? <laughs> right. And both of them didn't hesitate. They said it was the story. That's what keeps them coming back to collecting is because they're so inspired by the story. But I I know that there's a a vast uh, amount of Star Wars collectors who are really more into the collecting than they actually are the story. For me, myself, the core of Star Wars comes down to the story and everything that my fandom is all about is based on those stories so my collecting is based on my passion for the stories themselves right and i find myself as a collector not only collecting things like action figures and memorabilia and artwork but other sort of more esoteric things to collect things that you can't really put your finger on like i like to collect star wars audio
1: now i'm I'm really interested in this idea of of collecting audio because so one of my goals is you know if if, if we can you know, maybe convert you to like a full-fledged, super hardcore vintage collector, then, you know, then it will help to spread throughout the rest of the community. So mm. have you thought about like just focusing just for a while on audio collectibles, like actual items? Because I mean like I, when Smuggler's Gambit came out and you sent me that promo, um, it got us looking. And there's really not that much out there as far as the radio plays go. There's like a poster here and like a translucent there. But Mm. I I imagine there could be some, especially with like your connections, there could be some really cool things dug up with like, I don't know, old acetates or stuff like that. Have you tried to track down that stuff?
0: No, not so much. Now, I have been a real audiophile when it comes to collecting uh, underground uh, recordings from bands like Led Zeppelin or oh, right. <laughs> The Stones. You know, I, I like a lot of classic rock, and so I search out a lot of unreleased material by those bands. Right. Um, with, with Star Wars, I've never taken it to the next level where I'm actually collecting the memorabilia that's tied into audio. Right. When I say I collect audio, I mean, I'm really collecting the, the little bits and pieces of audio. Right. And back in the, the 90s when I was really... Um, really uh, heavily pursuing that, it wasn't like you can sign on to StarWars.com and go to their soundboards and boom, you have an instant <laughs> audio collection. It would require a lot of time and effort to go through the films uh, one at a time and pick apart these little audio um, elements out of each scene. And I know certain little tricks where I, that I can do to clean up sounds or right. to, uh, you know, I've listened to... The Star Wars films, I've listened to them, left channel, right channel, mono, stereo, phase reversed, completely reversed, you name it, I've listened to try to pick out the sounds from the uh, the actual sound mix. And uh, like I said, nowadays it's it's real easy to do to get a complete collection. And go to StarWars.com and just raid their soundboards, but you don't get everything there. And, and back in the '90s, I was really concerned with getting every piece of Star Wars isolated sounds I could, from dialogue to effects to music, you name it. Right. I was just trying to separate it all. That was very time consuming, but it, you know, and my friends, some of my friends were like. And you're doing this because (laughs) why, again? Well, obviously, I I had no idea that I was actually going to be able to put all of that work, hard work, to practical use down the road. In the 90s, I was concerned with being like a a Ben Burt wannabe. I was concerned with trying to teach myself about the way film Audio mixes are put together, and Star Wars was my sandbox to try to figure all that stuff out. I'm very passionate about audio production. I'm a radio professional for a living, and any opportunity I can find to blend my passions audio production, in Star Wars, I would jump after it. So my friends would be like, I don't understand. You have all these discs filled with all the Star Wars stuff. What are you going to do with it? And I'm like, I don't know. I'll do something with it someday. Lo and behold, podcasting became <laughs> popular back in around 2005, 2006, and it didn't take me long to realize, wow, I have already done a lot of the work here. I might as well jump on board, and right. that's Jason and Pete doing their thing at the forecast, and I listened to them and realized that these were guys whose chemistry seemed infectious and they seemed to be on the same level as me as far as my fandom was concerned and I was, I, I looked at it as a door, a doorway in the fandom where I could be more than just passive about my fandom and someone who consumes What the fan community has, as opposed to someone who actually is producing things. Contributing to the fan community, which is something I always wanted to do, but just didn't know how. I wasn't an artist uh, per se. I, I wasn't writing short stories or fanfic. I wasn't into developing websites. I was barely into going onto forums and posting. I was more of a lurker. But when this opportunity arose to be able to contribute audio production to Star Wars, to the Star Wars fan community, I just found it irresistible. And so, you know, once I threw my hat in the ring, and and the the really the prime reason I did it was because I knew that Star Wars Celebration 4 was happening in uh, early summer, uh, late spring 2007 in L.A. And I wanted to have some friends there. I wanted to be able wow. to say hi to people and start connecting with fans more on a personal level. And so once I hooked up with uh, Jason and Pete, things just started snowballing from there. And uh, before you knew it, I was on board 100%.
1: Yeah, it's it's one thing I have to say, that uh, as much as I want people to listen to Rebel Force Radio, I just don't want them to get used to that quality of <laughs> sound control. Because, you see, Jimmy's a professional, and, and some of us here are complete amateurs. And uh, I have to say, I'm always a little bit intimidated whenever I hear you guys show. I'm like, man... I- I wish being a French professor would make me a better podcaster, but I, <laughs> it, it only does when I get really obscure references out there that sometimes they like. But uh. well,
0: at least at least you can speak French. I can't right. do that.
1: <laughs> I mean, at least I know. Like, I know you are super into audio, but like you know, I've read the Ben Burt books and I've read all the articles. So, like, whenever I listen to the, the commentaries, I just want to hear George. You know, mm-hmm. because like Kirsch and and Ben Burt tend to tell the the things I've already heard before, so usually mm-hmm. when I'm listening, I'm always like, "All right, yeah, I get it, so you put the thing at the bottom of the scuba tank. now, let George
0: talk, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and the thing is too about uh Ben, especially is that he has this really incredible memory, right he can. He could spin a yarn about something that happened 30 years ago with amazing clarity. And that's why he's such a valuable member when they're doing these commentary tracks for any Star Wars film and why he tends to dominate a little bit because he was there pretty much from day one. Right. He was in the uh, the house with George, uh, the Parkway house. He was down in the basement creating the sounds for R2, the Jawas, Greedo, everyone just down there using analog equipment in a basement. And uh, all the way up till now, he's got his own studio still over at Skywalker Sound, Totally state-of-the-art, but if you go in there, and I've been lucky enough to be there a couple times, right. you actually see that vintage synth that he used to create the R2-D2 sounds. Oh, that's awesome. And there's, you know, there's, like, post-its on it and stuff. Do not touch these settings! <laughs> and a bunch of stickers on it, you know, pointing, indicating to where the knobs are supposed to be turned and everything. And then he has, in the corner... A uh, a, like a curio case, like a big glass display case, where inside he has all this memorabilia from his career. The thing that I really love seeing is the scuba regulator he used to create Darth Vader's breathing. He still has it. It's on display in his studio. But just to, you know, see where he had been and where he is now and – have an understanding of this incredibly groundbreaking work he did in the audio field for films is truly amazing. And so that's why he gets a lot of time on these commentary tracks right. because he remembers it so well. And he had been there every step of the way.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. man. that must've been, I mean, that's like, you know the, the equivalent of like I don't know walking into one of the the Kenner designers' rooms and just seeing, you know the 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 blueprint still there, as He's drawing or something. That must have been that must have been amazing. Mm. But, uh, yeah, that's awesome. So so what is it then? So then you you have your your complete vintage loose collection. Yes. And, and does so nothing makes you want to go into Mint on card or. I mean, is it that you just don't spend a lot of money on Star Wars collectibles in general? Or, I mean, is there a particular figure you would think of sort of focusing on if you did?
0: Well, for me, you know, the mint mint on card is really cool. But I'm a guy who likes to take things out of the package. My collection is mostly loose. I have maybe two vintage, maybe, no, just one. I have the Imperial Commander. Okay. I have him carded still. Any reason for that? Just a figure? Cleaning out the, the parents' house when I moved out years ago and just, you know, every time I would go home, my mom and dad would have a box or some bags of my junk to take home to my new house. And as we were cleaning it out, we just, we found it and it wasn't open. And I said, well, we can't open it now. It's, it's hardly in mint condition. But right. It's, it's just great to have, you know, a memory. I, I don't even remember how I got it or when I got it. But um, it's just one of those things, you know. Star Wars was such a huge part of my childhood. And through osmosis, my parents both learned a lot about the saga <laughs> just from having me grow up in the house. So much so that... It was one time I was uh, over at my parents' house, and sure enough, they had boxes of stuff for me to take home and I was getting ready to leave, so I was in the, the foyer area in my parents' house with talking to my brother, who also was a huge star wars fan right. uh, and uh, my dad was upstairs, and my dad's the type of guy who is very much his own person, and you know he he's kind of uh you know at times I, I'd say he's he's just you know in his own world, it's his world, and we live in it okay. And um my mom said, Don't go anywhere. We have some things for you to take home. So they went up to the top of the steps, and you know, I heard shuffling around and things being moved. And then I heard my dad from the top of the steps going, Jimmy, is this your adat? <laughs> Me and my brother froze. We looked at each other, our mouths were agape, and we're like, He knows what an adat is? <laughs> I, you know, I, we'd expect him to yeah. say something like, what is this, some kind of elephant or something? <laughs> right. Your little dog is here. It was a vintage Ad Ad from, uh, you know, uh, the early 80s.
1: Oh, that's great. You know, that's actually a long standing debate on the show. I, I, can, I contend that it's an 80-80, but uh, very few people agree with me on that one. But, uh, well, that's amazing that your dad actually knew that. And then, because, uh, you know, my dad, he still calls him Chudubaka. And I can't, I can't get him to stop calling him that. So I've been collecting him for, you know, 13 years. But, uh, yeah, that and, and Binksy Binks, that's how he refers to Jar Jar uh, when he's talking about the scandal of episode one.
0: As a diehard Chewbacca fan, does it really just – is it like fingernails on a chalkboard when somebody calls him Chewbacca?
1: Yeah, it, it it bugs me. But then as a French professor, right, the, the French name for Chewbacca for the first movie was Chic Taba, as you may know. And that actually means to, like, chew on tobacco. Like, <laughs> they, they translated it literally, which is a perfectly awesomely French thing to do. So any any kind of mess up that kind of sounds a little bit more like chew a tobacco or chew a baka, it, it bugs me. But to be honest, I mean, it's, it's hard because when you collect chewy, you know, half the time it's with a Y, half the time it's with an I-E, half the time they spell – well, no, three-quarters of the time they spell Wookie with one E. You know, oh. you just kind of – you just kind of have to let it go. Although I, I do remember, Jimmy, uh, at one point on your show, I, I accused you guys of having an anti-Wookie bias. I don't know if you remember that.
0: <laughs> an anti-Wookie bias? Now, now, how can you how can you back up a statement like that? That sounds absurd.
1: We'd, ha- we'd have to go to the archives, but uh, this was—I mean, it had to be 2007 or something. And it was it was long after that. I didn't even get a chance to entertain. And there was just like three or four time like shows in a row, and it was mostly it was mostly Jason would like make kind of disparaging remarks about Chewie and, and about Wookies. And I, I sent something in It was kind of tongue in cheek, but uh, then I was kind of secretly afraid that like that you guys hated me because I made this kind of joke. But uh, since <laughs> since then, you guys have corrected your your anti Wookie bias.
0: <laughs> that is hilarious. That is hilarious. I love Chewbacca. As a matter of fact, uh, in the mid nineties when it became apparent that Star Wars was more than just something I enjoyed as a kid, and it was something that was gradually seeping back into my lifestyle as an adult, it was sort of a tough time for me to determine how I'm going to say it loud and say it proud among my friends. This was nothing I wanted to hide. I, I never... Was comfortable being a closet Star Wars fan. I was someone who always wore my fandom on my sleeve, and so sort of the way I, I came out as a Star Wars fan as an adult was I had uh, I had a desk, and on the shelf on my desk I had all this Chewbacca memorabilia. I had a Chewbacca keychain. I had a few vintage figures there. The big bulky steroid Chewbacca was just released from Hasbro. I had him, I had the Snoova, whatever was chewy. I had a little stuffed chewy up there. Whatever it was, I had up there. And to a person, anyone who approached that desk would comment on the Chewbacca scene going on on that shelf.
1: Well, that's, you know, Jimmy, that's how I started. And I'll send you a link. I have two Polaroids for my collection from the mid-90s. The first one has three items. The other one has maybe like 10. But like it just started like right around that time and I realized, man, Star Wars is taking off. I better kind of focus on my favorite character or else I'm just going to buy all this stuff. And like that's kind of how it happened, Jimmy. So if you just kind of kept going, you know, you'd, you'd, be, uh, you'd be in the mess that I find myself in in my basement here.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask you this. Did you get the Mark Echo Chewbacca jacket that was just released?
1: I, see, I have this problem with with stuff that comes out now, which is okay. that whenever it's expensive, I figure, yes. well, it's probably not going to go up, so I can wait to buy that, and I'm just going to save my money for the next, you know, obscure Australian release Chewbacca that might come up in some kind of weird auction somewhere. Yeah. That being said, I that that's on the hit list for 2013 because. Yes the the Chewbacca like gear, like I finally got the, the bathrobe. I don't know if you've seen that. Um, that thing is just beautiful and, and the, the jacket's great and it kind of, kind of transforms and, and all that's really good. The only problem is is like I actually like wearing the stuff that I get. Like uh, the way you are with toys, that's how I am with Chewbacca Memorabilia. I wear all the T shirts. I don't care if I get pit stains in them or whatever. Uh, actually, my kids now both have matching long sleeve Chewbacca shirts, uh, <laughs> not, not on purpose. So, like, I would wear it, but then, I, you know, I'd be so protective of it. So, I'm, that's the other thing. I'm kind of afraid of, uh, of having it. But that thing is sweet, though.
0: Oh, my God. And I'll tell you, the photos you see of it online don't do it justice. There's nothing like seeing that jacket in person or, better yet, wearing it. It is furry. It is... It has the bandolier, yeah, and the bandolier is removable. So it's just like you know, like I might just show up at a convention just wearing the bandolier.
1: <laughs> that's well, it. hey, that, that's how Chewy does it, you know. Except uh <laughs> except we were talking about that. Except in the, the Muppets appearance, he, he isn't wearing his bandolier. He's weird. not,
0: and, he, and he's not wearing it when the Falcon blasts out of Moss isley He takes it off. <laughs> right. As he said, have you ever noticed that? That's funny. I've never actually noticed that. Oh my goodness, he takes it off as. You know, Han is shuffling everyone up on the the ramp to get on board, and they they cut away to a shot of Chewbacca. He's in the cockpit of the Falcon, and he brushes up against the dice that are hanging from the ceiling. <laughs> and you notice he is not wearing his bandolier. And if I remember correctly, he's actually placing the bandolier to the side as he's prepping the ship oh, to get you it.
1: Know I, I sort of see that motion it's mm-hmm. you know, it's funny that's what's amazing you know we we start every show with a, with a little like a movie thought it's not about vintage toys like just because i like overthinking stuff and that's sort of you know part, partly inspired by you and kyle because i love how you guys just can riff forever and actually today this month all we talked about well, all i talked about was about 45 minutes was about luke's bespin outfit and like how it's actually a Dagobah outfit, and, uh, you know, how does he actually get it on? And he's just sort of wearing it, and where does he put it on in the first place? And is it really a fatigue? Because it's not a military gear, and if it is military gear, what military, you know? and
0: The first time in my life I ever heard the word fatigues was when I bought that action figure. <laughs> right. And it was such a great release because you had the big tease. You brought up The Muppet Show. Mark Hamill was on that episode, too, wearing the Bespin fatigues. Right. And so that was and that was released prior to the release of Empire Strikes Back. So you got a preview of it and all during that episode you have Gonzo and Kermit and Scooter they're all commenting, you know, wow, I love your outfit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean they're just like telegraphing that so much that so that by the time you that action figure was released you're like, "Well, this is the coolest thing ever" because right. He's, uh, he's he's uh, wearing, the, this is the Muppet Show Loop is what I used to call it. <laughs> That's the name.
1: You know what, Jimmy? We've been trying to call it something different, you know, because my whole argument is they're not fatigues and it's not a best Bespin outfit. Yeah, on the Blu-ray, they call it uh, tan uniform. But I like Muppet
0: Show Loop. That's much better. The Muppet Show Luke. And then you have to customize the Chewbacca to remove that bandolier, and then you have Muppet Show Chewie.
1: That's right, yeah. Let's
0: still- hey, I'll tell you what. I just heard from Kyle Newman. He wants to jump in on our uh, vintage chat here. Now, Kyle Newman, he's a guy who has a lot to say about vintage. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah, I know about Kyle. So, Kyle, we were just talking about the Bespin fatigued Luke from uh, Empire Strikes Back, that classic... Vintage figure. Do you have any thoughts on that one?
4: Oh, this is vintage toys. I thought this was vintage furniture.
1: Oh, I see how you got that confused. I also do a thing oh, on like Louis okay. the Fourteenth. Uh, it's a whole different thing because I'm a French professor. But no, no, this is this is vintage <laughs> toys. Uh, although, if you have a nice end table, I'd like to hear about it too. But uh...
0: <laughs> and we will so, be doing more be on about? war talk.
1: <laughs> yes, we're talking about about Bespin Luke and just sort of. Uh... I think it's
4: great, and I I love that figure. I love. I mean, obviously, that's. I think that's probably the first time in my life I was really cognizant of toys, you know? And it's right around when that original one came out. And obviously, that was the incarnation of Luke that was the one you wanted to get your hands on. So I, it's, it has a special place in my heart. Um, all of those... Hey, man, Chevrolet or Bolingbroke? All of those Empire toys. Um, but that Luke one was like... He was the guy for me. So I, I love that figure. I, and I love it if... You know, with with Hasbro, when they do put out more, and, and let, let me be really clear, I collect vintage carded. I collect vintage, vintage, and vintage carded. I I'm really nonplussed by just generic card Star Wars figures. It doesn't resonate with me. It doesn't have a nostalgic or emotional impact unless the whole package is takes me back. You right. know, you're, you're you're at home here, Kyle. <laughs> and I love it when they they. Look, how many times have we seen the same figures over and over again? If you're going to do a figure that is going to be put on a vintage card, I don't need to see the one that's redone that I've seen for 30 years. I would like to see a different incarnation of Luke.
0: And and so, Sky, Kyle is talking about the modern vintage line. And so for someone like you who is a hardcore vintage, vintage collector, where do you stand on these new vintage figures the modern vintage line and where do you stand on the 12 inch gentle giant vintage figures
1: i mean i am completely in favor of all of it i mean when when we started our show you know a couple years ago whatever it was um that was sort of right around the time they were coming out with the vintage line and i remember being in 1995 seeing the power of the force red cards and saying oh wait a minute this this isn't it i mean this is cool I'm happy to have new Star Wars toys. I'm happy to have Tarkin and a Rebel, you know, Trooper and everything, but I want the real thing. And like the yes, and the fact that that's continued and that it's been so successful and that most modern collectors, even though they don't like the higher price point, um, you know, and I am friends with Curdo. You know, we live in the same town, so I, I try to keep abreast of the whole uh, the whole modern scene. I know they don't like the higher price point, but like you just you cannot fight Kenner's design because I mean people give you know star wars credit i mean kenner credit for creating this scale and all these things but their visual design is just unmatched and so i love it if if it were up to me if i had unlimited funds i would have just bought all the modern stuff um the general giant is even better you know because i i have to think of things in two ways like as a collector of chewbacca you know and so i have to get one of each so that's fine uh, or two of each depending but then as a sort of a person who sort of tries to speak for the vintage community, uh, as I use that term again, uh, I love anything that keeps us relevant and meaningful. And so Gentle Giant showing everybody, look at these sculpts. Look at how awesome they are. I mean, you you take, uh, what was it, the the R5-D4 that came out recently or or the Gamorrean Guard, and you look at that thing so big, you realize, you know, they've made toys that are newer, but they just haven't made them better, you know? So...
4: Yeah, you know what's I'm, another cool thing was seeing the way Gentle Giant put out a blue Snaggletooth. It is yeah. as an exclusive, and I still think that's a big gap. I'd love to see a vintage carded blue Snaggletooth. I thought that was even rumored at one point. I mean, and just looking at like an Empire Strikes Back wave, we're talking about Bespin Luke, but I would love to see Luke Medical Frigate as Kenner planned them. Yeah. If you want to get an Obi Wan, don't put Obi Wan on a New Hope card. Get Obi Spirit of Obi Wan on an Empire Strikes Back card.
1: Yeah, yep. And I just, uh, you know, to, to return to what Jamie was saying, I just, as, as my, I'm really bummed that they're kind of stopping this, and obviously the fact that they're stopping everything that isn't Disney is, is bothering mm-hmm. me. I, I know everyone's kind of whispering that, but I mean, do you also collect, I mean, not just the, the modern vintage, but the vintage vintage?
4: I have um, every single figure from the vintage vintage line. Okay. Um, some are carded, most are uncarded. Um, A lot of the Uncarded, I have multiples, but I have like maybe, you know, 15 or 20, maybe 20-something figures carded from the original um, Tenor assortment, like, uh, you know, Yoda in his first incarnation. I've got, you know, 12-back Chewbacca. I have a
0: 12-back... What's that one you picked up in Japan?
4: I have a 12-back C-3PO, which is great. So it's the um, the slight variant that was released in Japan with a different head sculpt. Oh, nice. So okay. I had that one. I got a great deal when I was over there. Um, I've got a lot of the Power of the Force ones still carded. You know, um, Imperial dignitary and Imperial gunner and a man man. Um, I actually have an Anakin Skywalker carded, which is really cool. Yeah. Um, but I'd love to fill in, I'd love to get some of the, i uh, like a Luke, a Ben, an evader, you know, I, I love the whole, you know, the, the second wave of figures that came out. I just, that those are really, really dear to me. Those Cantina aliens. Oh yeah. Um,
1: yeah, no, that was the most fun that we had, you know, Death Star <laughs>
4: droid. It's just, it's beautiful. The packaging, the power yeah. droid. They're gorgeous, you know. And I've got a hammerhead carded. I have a grito carded. I have a walrus man carded. So they're not fantastic condition those, but they just—I don't know. It's just a hard thing to my, my philosophy, which I've said before, you know, publicly, as I really think if if you're going to put out, you know, figures, collectors want you give them the option of the card, and the card should be something special. Right. But kids that open doesn't matter to them, you know? So if, as long as you're satiating and varying, uh, varying up the line and, and getting a good assortment out there, so kids will want to get them and hitting the heroes, but also putting out things that are new to vintage so collectors can feel like it's a continuation and there's that nostalgic mo- value and there's this momentum. So everything from 1978 onward feels like it's part of the same thing. And if something's really great, and it's a clone wars character and put a clone wars logo on it. I don't even like to call it vintage. I like to call it it's a Star Wars card. Right. Put it on a Star Wars card cuz nothing makes me more upset than when I think about episode 2 toy packaging. Like what a missed <laughs> opportunity yeah. to bring the saga to bring the two trilogies together. You have to do it on every level. You do it in merchandising, you do it in terms of just the content. But a big part of Star Wars has always been the action figure line. And when those prequels came out and they didn't try to correlate them in any way, to make it feel like a continuation of, of the great work that Kenner had done, it it was like almost an affront to it. It was like we're not going to even do that. We're not going to recognize them as characters on the card. We're just going to put them on this baby blue card with flecks of dirt. It didn't even make any sense.
1: Yeah, no, that was and, when I was collecting modern the most and I remember thinking like this – What is this? Yeah, what is this? is, is a <laughs> missed opportunity. I mean, I love having the Luke without the hand, but beyond that, I'm bummed about everything else. But, so but, but that makes about
4: the new for the new movies, because hopefully, you know, if we're getting back to some of these, you know, they say, you know, potentially the core characters are back, and this is a continuation of Return of the Jedi, and maybe it's a good time to relaunch Vintage again, even though it's dormant now, and bring it out and tie it all back together, but do it on all levels. And a big part of that is the is the Kenner-style classic Star Wars card presentation.
0: And I don't know about you guys, but, I mean, if you want to talk about modern figures, while I appreciate things like articulation and attention to detail like that, uh, sometimes the joints with articulation really affect the sculpt and make it look phony. And also, with articulation, you deal with flimsier characters, characters that have their arms busting off at the elbows, um, heads popping off left and right. It's like, what kind of playability does a kid have with these figures that just completely fall apart once you take them out of the package? Like the Clone Wars figures. They couldn't even stand up.
1: Yeah, let me tell you, because I know you guys are big Clone Wars fans. Uh, Our kids, we finally got to watch the last episode this afternoon, and so my son, he he ran downstairs, he grabbed the three shock troopers that we have, you know, the red guys, and he brought them up, and two of them don't have hands uh, at all, he calls them gun hands, and he pretends that those are guns, and then the third has hands, and he's like, this one's name is perfect, I'm like, why is his name perfect? Because he's not missing a hand or a foot or anything.
4: <laughs> oh my god!
1: Uh, but then, actually, you love it because they then my daughter grabbed Ahsoka and they were like running all over the living room, chasing all over each other. It was, it was a it was like a perfect recreation. It was like a totally vintage moment. You know, that's exactly what I remember playing with the toys as a kid, except that they had to deal with these really cool, accurate toys that didn't have hands. And Ahsoka doesn't have the bottom of her leg, and it's uh, yeah, it's kind of like a weird like. Oh, I guess it's good because it's Star Wars and it's lots of amputees. It's supposed to be that way. But...
0: You know, I have so many fond memories of playing with those figures and not caring about what condition they're going to be in, but still taking care of them at the same time, you know, not leaving them around so my dog could eat it. My dog used to love Han Hoth. <laughs> And he used to love Yoda. Anytime he could get those figures, he would chew them up. And there was a moment when I thought I had outgrown Star Wars. I thought I had outgrown my toys. And I had a BB gun. Yeah. And I set up the Cloud Car Pilot on my parents' backyard fence. And I aimed that gun at it. I sized it up through the scope. And I pulled the trigger, and that thing exploded. It was this explosion of white plastic. And I'll never forget the sinking feeling I had when that happened. And I said, dude, what did you do? What did you do? You're destroying your childhood. And, and from that moment on, I said, I will never, ever cause harm to a Star Wars action figure again.
4: Well, I, I would I... rescue them. Yeah. That... So many kids going into high school knew I was into Star Wars. And they're like, I'll sell you. Whole garb- a, a whole garbage bag full of action figures for $5. Uh-huh. And they would just bring in their garbage bags filled with X-wings. And some of them were broken and all types of action figures. Some were scuffed. Some were in fantastic condition with tight joints and like $5, 10 So I just started accumulating mass amounts of people's discarded toys. It was like the Island of Misfit Toys, and they all kept coming to me. Yeah. That's and I would take them, and I would clean them up, and I would put them in little bags, and I just saved
0: them all. Yes. During so those so three many. times – during those dark times, Kyle, you and me have talked about this a lot, how we would have dreams of walking into a Walmart or a Toys R Us and seeing the pegs filled with vintage figures, but they weren't the figures that we bought. They were the characters that the were never ones. made.
4: Right. I still have dreams about that. <laughs> yeah. I'm not even kidding. I have dreams where there's like where there's like an R1 G4 or a General Dodonna or a woo her on a vintage card. I would lose my mind if there was a Figrin Dan or a CZ-3 or a Gorindan. The the guy was such a key character in the movie.
1: It's funny you're saying that about about the Gurindan because there's this weird thing where before Star Wars was, was released, maybe you guys know this, but one of the first toys that were made was made by this company ironically called Star Trek Galore. And and they made these – actually, it was made by Heritage, but it was advertised in the magazine, uh, like a store called Star Wars Gore or something like that. And they were, like, these unpainted, really weird bootleg, almost like uh, like D&D miniatures. Yes. And for some reason, they had Gurinder in there. And I remember just thinking, like, why is this the only vintage version of Gurinder anywhere? I mean, there's no puzzle. There's no shirt iron-on, nothing. Like, this is it. This one little bootleg – unpainted un- uh, thing uh,
2: so. you know what it
4: was too back in the day there was cracked magazine remember Cracked? of course and it had this fantastic cover um i remember it was like bluish and you're in the cantina and everyone's making fun of that little guy but it had all of the aliens that i wanted as action figures you know right And I was just like, oh, they're going to make those, aren't they? And they just never did. On that side. But actually, Jimmy, I have to say because the co-host of the show who actually
1: uh, lives right near you, Kyle, in uh, West Hollywood, he he can't be here today. But he collects figures that children have destroyed. That's his main collection. He calls it his reject collection. So he has figures with BBs in them and he has – melted down and figures eat chewed on by dogs so if you still have that cloud car pilot it has a home where it will be cherished uh, steve
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh that's <the> cool <laughs> maybe the pieces are still there
1: uh, it's it's amazing because you look at it and i look i remember thinking oh that's kind of funny it's kind of goofy i'm like oh no wait this is the coolest thing i've ever seen i mean okay i have prototypes i have one-of-a-kind items but i don't have a crazy obi-wan kenobi painted like a clown I mean, he has that. It's just
0: (laughs) one of a kind. Exactly. Do you guys remember the last vintage purchase you ever made in a store?
1: I I do. Mine was a was a Tebow, uh, and it was at Ben Franklin. I don't know if you guys have those. Sure. Yeah. Oh
0: yeah, we had Ben Franklin. That's where I used to buy my uh, Topps trading cards, my Star Wars trading cards. Oh,
1: cool. Yeah. So it was on the pegs at Ben Franklin. I remember getting a Tebow and I remember just looking at the accessories being like, I'm going to lose these. (laughs) I knew there's no way I was going to hold on to those. How about you, Kyle?
4: You know what? There's a couple. um, I don't know which came first, but I remember I'd ordered so many with proof of purchases, the Anakin uh, Skywalker figure. Okay. And they just kept coming in the mail. Like I think like (laughs) months and months after the line was done. (laughs) i think i was still getting Anakin's. i think i have eight of them in the box um and there was also there was a christmas i think i was bad or something because my mom didn't give me all of all of my presents and one day i was like playing hide and seek and i was in the closet and i came up like one of her purses was like like felt hard and i was like what is this because i was hiding and i opened it up and it was filled with some power of the force figures and there was, like, three of them. And I was like, what is this? Because this was, like, March. Christmas was long gone. Right. But she had just forgotten to give them to me. Yeah. And I think those were the last three I received. Huh. Um, but I didn't open those. I, I held on to them. And you, you I think have in terms of in well? a store, it might have been... Um, yeah, I remember. I, I kept. I remember the day I went in. I was looking for that uh, Han Solo Carbonite, which I never had as a kid, and I couldn't get a Luke Stormtrooper, but I did get Imperial Gunner and Barada. Those were probably the last I remember buying.
1: Wow. Yeah, that's that's a pretty specific memory. I, I assume, Jimmy, you you remember yours too?
0: Oh, of course. Um, I was definitely way out of collecting Star Wars at this point. As a matter of fact, I stopped making my action figure purchases around the time of Return of the Jedi. I I recall going into a KB Toys, seeing them all on the pegs. I knew my brother had picked up some of them and I had looked at them at home and then I was just flipping through the pegs, looking at them all, but I left them all there because I thought, well, you know what? I'm going into high school. I don't play with toys anymore. It's the end. (laughs) Star Wars films are done with. It's the end of an era. It's time for me to get into chicks and guitars and things. Things like that. And um, it was 1986, a few years uh, after Jedi, I was I had hitched around at home with a friend of mine from high school. And he said, do you mind if I stop in this toy store? I have to pick up something for my nephew. And I said, yeah, sure, no problem. So I went in there with him. And while he was making his purchase, I got distracted by this big bin filled with Power of the Force action figures. And they were 50 cents each. Wow. So I I bought up everything I could with the money I had. I remember buying uh, uh, B-Wing Pilot and um, uh, Luke Stormtrooper and uh, the Ewoks and whatever was there. The next day I went back and bought the rest. And for the longest time, that was as far as I had pushed my Star Wars vintage collecting. And I felt like I had a pretty complete collection. I knew that there were still some missing, like on Carbonite. I, I knew I didn't have or Yak Face, which I didn't even know about Yak Face at the right. time. Learned about Yak Face until uh, – the early 90s when a friend of mine he's an actor, a comedian, Bill Leff. He's a big toy collector and he started telling me about his collection of Star Wars figures and what they're worth and uh, I would say, well, do you have blue snackletooth? And he'd say, yes, I do. And I said, well, I have two of them. So he really piqued my curiosity, go back to my parents house and dig up all that stuff and that's really what got me back into collecting as an adult. But um, I was still in high school when I discovered that bin of figures At KB Toy. And, or no, it was called Clippers. Clippers was the name of the toy shop. And it was just, you know, a chance thing where I was with a friend of mine and I saw them all in there and I had thrown away that pretense I had in summer of 83 that I had outgrown this stuff and that it was time to fill up the holes in my collection. And so I did just that. However, those uh, that collection sort of sat dormant. I got into... Uh, <clears throat> star trek uh actually star trek next generation in 87 and i watched that you know all the way through college and stuff so i found myself attending a few star trek conventions and i would go around to the dealers tables not looking for star trek stuff at all but asking if they had any star wars stuff and they would always tell me in the cardboard box under the table so i would move a I would move the uh, the, the tablecloth, and I would pull out a box and find like an imperial guard without the cloak. And I, you know, what do you want for this? I'll give you a quarter for it. You know, I just start stocking up that way. And uh, then when I met Bill in the early nineties, we were doing radio work together, and he told me about how or, how organized Star Wars collecting was becoming. Uh, Steve Sansweet had just released his first Tomarts guide, and I picked up a copy of that, and that just unleashed the floodgates. I said, well, I have to get all this stuff out of my parents' house. I have to make sure it's all in great shape. I have to put it on display. I have to fill in all the blanks in my collection. And then shortly after that, Hasbro revitalized the Star Wars line, and it all just took off from there. But that was the last time I ever recall buying vintage figures during that era was when I had that chance visit to that Clippers toy shop in Glenview, Illinois, (laughs) As I was just hitching a ride home from school with a friend of mine, so wow. that's my that's my recollection of my final vintage moment, and then I started having those dreams about you know seeing the vintage carded um uh Garindan or whoever uncle owen Tarkin we always wanted oh, Tarkin Tarkin's I-
4: the pinnacle, yep.
0: yeah yeah yeah. So that's uh yeah those are, are my my final vintage memories. Wow,
1: that's that's man, you guys have some really good memories about that. We'll have to. Start. I haven't asked that question. I don't think before of any of our interviewees. Uh, that's cool too because it gives you an idea of like people's different ages. I mean, what, one of the things about my co-host is he's like a lot younger. Like he was, yeah, I think he's like not even thirty yet. Um, and uh, it was actually funny, Kyle. I, I owe you sort of a thank you because. I didn't really know how to hang out with him because he was going undergrad when I was in grad school at Santa Barbara. Oh yeah, and, uh, and so like one of the first times, if not the first time we ever hung out, was when Fanboys was playing uh, at the Magic Lantern Theater, and it didn't come any other. And you know, I didn't make it down to LA to see any you know, of the showings. I was really excited, and I've told the story on the show before, but I actually won the uh, costume contest, um, but I won it without trying. Because I, I just I wear all my Chewbacca gear and I had a, a Chewbacca sweatshirt. It was like this handmade sweatshirt. And people in Santa Barbara are so relaxed and chill and, and devoid of like passion, I don't know what. That I was the only person who showed up. It was like a full full place, but I was the only person who showed up wearing anything Star Wars. So oh, that's far. awesome. So I, I got in for free. I apologize, I wasn't able to, to support you that way. Oh that's <laughs> right. Um but, uh, yeah, anyways, I wanted to, you know, we, we definitely appreciate, uh, appreciate the movie. And uh, uh, Jimmy and I were talking about it a little bit earlier, too, that uh, that last line, you know, what if what if the movie sucks? In my opinion, I think that's what happened to the Star Wars community, was at that point, half decided it did, half decided it didn't. And I think that was the split. Um, although- there
4: was a split, and that's why it was a very decided point to end the film, because – you know, really, it was about the movie, that whole thing. What we were trying to do was just show how it brought people together, awakened people to it. And after that, the fandom kind of went in two different directions. And there's the people, which I actually think, they all tend to be really miserable people that really <laughs> don't they don't like themselves. They're so, they just wanted to judge the movie as it was in 1999 yeah. and never look at it in context of what else came out. Yep. and it, it, I understand why it was you just jumped to that conclusion. That's it. But yep. it was hard, and definitely was a schism in 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 the fans.
1: Yeah, yeah, it was. I mean, I could, uh, I could talk about it for for hours and hours. I know uh, J- Jimmy says that uh, we should probably probably wrap it up soon. Um, although I do
4: actually, yeah, I unfortunately, yeah, I have a a work call that I'm 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 late for, and I apologize because I was late to you too. Just kind of a. Oh, crazy no, but, day, but I'm also happy to talk further at a later point if you want to. I apologize, if I have to hop off right now. No, no, I, uh, yeah, I, I've, yeah. I've been a fan of your site and your podcast for a bit. So, awesome! It's well, it's great it's, to finally come on and and chat about yeah, we, all this stuff because I, I think about it every day.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, awesome. Well, it's you know we love. <laughs> But uh, I, I will let you guys go. I will have to talk to you guys again because you have not answered the the Soviet lightning round questions.
4: You let me know. I can do it whenever. I, I apologize. I have to go now, but I'm down to come back when later this week and future. What you tell me, and we'll figure it out. All right. Well, cool. Well, uh, thank I, you again. And great chatting. Yeah.
1: Awesome chatting. All right. All right. Thanks. Thanks.
0: See you, Kyle. Bye. Awesome talking vintage with Kyle. I mean, there's a guy who loves to talk about vintage. Yeah,
1: he is. I, I'm telling you, both you guys. You you have what it takes to be full-on hardcore. I mean, the, the, way, the way you described your Imperial commander, that's like the beginning story for so many people, that kind of thing. And I could see you in five years having the full proof run and you know, the, the hard copy and the acetate and the sculpt and everything, using all your crazy connections, you know, and like being the Imperial commander guy. I could, I could see, I mean, I know, I know the guy in Singapore who has most of it, but still... Uh, he'd probably be able to, you know, let go of it. I can help you figure out trades. You know, I'm just uh, uh, and definitely Kyle there too. We'll we'll have to we'll have to work on uh, again finding this great uh, center ground.
0: You could be my collection manager.
1: Exactly, I'd love to be because uh, especially if 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 uh, condition is not your be all end all, collecting yeah. is a lot of fun and it's not that expensive. If all you care about is AFA eighty five, then you're just going to spend a lot of money and, and it's going to be a little bit less less fun.
0: Yeah. And there's a few holes in my collection too that I'd like to complete. Uh some play sets, vehicles, vintage, of course, you know, that I, I would really like to get back. You know, I used to keep all the boxes too. I was I had the foresight as a kid not to throw the boxes away. Right. And uh we had them all broken down and they were in my basement. And wouldn't you know it, the sump pump failed, the Uh, basement flooded, and all of those mint boxes just got trashed. And that probably happened, I I, I pinpoint that date around somewhere like around 1989. So, you know, all the card backs, all the boxes from everything from the Falcon to the Death Star and, you know, the Imperial Troop Transport, all that stuff. And I still have the actual toys themselves, but uh, I don't have those boxes anymore, and I've always been heartbroken over that. I had even the early bird kit, you know, the the stand for that and everything, and wow. it all just got, got trashed. The, the Cantina backdrop, you know, uh-huh. the, the blue snaggletooth set right. that you can only get at Sears. Yeah, yeah. We used to go to Sears uh, all the time with my parents, and wow. we would flip through that catalog, and we saw that blue snagletooth, and we said, this is a figure we don't have. We <laughs> need this playset. And that that year for Christmas, we both got the uh, Cantina playset, and it was a thrill. We got all of those Sears exclusives over the years. Oh, wow. Even, even the remote control land speeder from JCPenney. Oh, nice. My grandmother the one who lived in Northern Mississippi, she went oh, right. to the J.C. Penny in Corinth, Mississippi, one summer. It was summertime. And she said, pick something from the catalog. That's going to be your Christmas gift. And so we saw this remote control land speeder. And one was not good enough for me and my brother. We both had to have our own. Right. So we both told Graham, that's what we wanted. And... It was the longest wait for that Christmas to roll around. And we finally got our remote control land speeders, put the batteries in it, and the thing didn't work for s sh- But, uh, you know, because it just had this little R2-D2 clicker. you click it, and the thing right. would just, you know, drive right into the wall and get stuck there, and it was mostly ineffective, but it was still cool to have, and uh, I still have both of those remote control speeders. Uh, They're not exactly in great shape, you know. I think one of them is missing the windshield, you know, that kind of thing, and one of them is missing the wheel. There's a wheel underneath that would steer it along and uh, all that stuff is uh, it's either up in my attic or it's gone forever. But, um, you know, I just, got, I always say God bless my mom because she knew how important star Wars was to me growing up. Every toy I had from the $6 million man to GI Joe with the Kung Fu grip, all that stuff went in the garage sales, but she never, touched my Star Wars stuff because she knew it meant a lot to me growing up and she thought it would be something that I could share with her grandchildren someday. Little did she know I do share it with them, but I don't let them touch it. Right.
1: <laughs> uh, so that's part of the fun thing about being, you know, like in sort of the weird, the, the vintage area of celebrations, you know, it was like during one of the after-hour sales, a couple, I think it was Celebration 5, someone brought out these huge, like, technical readout dimensions for the Landspeeder remote control thing and, like, weird blueprint drawings. Like, they weren't even, like, cool to look at, but they, I mean, they were cool to look at, but they didn't look any good at all because they were actually full-on technical readouts that someone got from somewhere in Cincinnati. So uh, if you ever want to just focus on the Landspeeder, you could do that too. But, uh, <laughs> technical
0: readouts of this battle station. <laughs> exactly. But I still have my vintage Death Star. Of course, all the foam has long since deteriorated. Um, I still have uh, the vintage Dagobah playset. Again, all the foam has deteriorated. Of course. But I, I still love having them, and I, I have them on display, and uh, they're very important parts of not only my collection, but of my childhood. And, yeah, they're not in mint condition. Uh, they're far from it. Uh, but they'll never be for sale, because what they represent to me is so much more important than any sort of dollar value I could put on it. it in essence you never really grow up as long as you stay connected through vintage collecting you, you, you never really get that sense you've fully grown up you've just evolved
1: right you're just and an accidental adult that's what i often call myself <laughs> i love that i'm gonna <laughs>
0: use that i'm stealing it from you accidental. Adult. sky it's been a pleasure yes. i could talk like like kyle said i could talk vintage all day long and uh and if you want to continue this discussion down the road uh, i'm i'm available and more than happy to uh chat vintage with you all night long
1: well yeah well i think you know because you guys have both not answered the lightning the Soviet lightning round questions we'll definitely have to get you back on uh, maybe even jason if he's ever forgiven me for calling him a a, a Wookiee hater.
0: Uh, <laughs> I think he got over it.
1: I think he probably did. Yeah, probably never even thought about it. But uh, yes,
0: we definitely gotta get Jason for next time. So.
1: Yeah, excellent. Well, thank you so much, Jimmy. And again, everyone out here who can hear my voice, Rebel Force Radio. Uh, it's 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 just so much fun to listen to. You guys have a, a really good back and forth. The sound bites are great every week they do the thing with uh, with Billy D Williams where they get an amazing quote although somehow it took him a long time to get to Bingo Long and his traveling All-Stars and Road Kings. I don't know. If I took you guys so long to get there. It took a long but,
0: time. It sure did. But,
1: uh, but they always have uh, just these great features and if you want to know what's happening with episodes 7, 8, and 9, uh, they're definitely the place to go.
0: And uh, be sure to uh, give my, my warmest regards to uh, Gus Lopez. I will. He is, uh, you know, his, his website was one of the original Star Wars websites I visited back in the early Days of the Internet in the mid mid nineties, and yep. uh, and it, it definitely was an educational experience when I discovered his massive collection of prototypes and rare action figures. You name it, Gus has got it. And I think that you are supplying the perfect podcast for his website. Oh, so keep well, up thank the you
1: great very much, Jimmy,
0: and right. uh, and stay vintage.
1: All right, stay vintage, Jimmy.
0: <laughs> All right, man. Later. Right, later.
1: All right, Steve. I hope that interview went well. I imagine it did. Yeah. I, I actually added a, a new uh, lightning round question. Ooh. Uh, and that is, what is your favorite bad line from a Star Wars movie? Hey, that's a good. That's a good one. And uh, huh. you, you of course know mine, Steve.
2: <laughs> I think I do. <laughs> Maybe not. Give
1: me a. Give me a reminder. It's a pilot land over there by that assembly area. <laughs> 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 I, I love that. <laughs> I, I will I will often say that to my family when I'm driving. Like if I'm if I'm in the passenger seat and my wife's driving, I'm like, pilot, land over there by that assembly area. <laughs> How about you, Steve? What's your favorite bad line from a Star Wars movie? Oh
2: man, that's I'm gonna have to think about that. Yeah. Um
1: there there are so many to choose from. Oh, I, I don't mean that as a snarky, you know, like, oh man, there's no. so many, there really are so many to choose from.
2: There they really are, yeah, that's that's funny. Uh, uh, all right. I'll, give me, remind me, and I'll, I'll come up with that next month, and I'll, I'll give you mine.
1: All right. All right. That sounds good. All right. Um, so uh, you want to do a vintage vocab, and I was thinking we might as well talk to Chris Jorgulius because I think he might know more than we do. I think it's usually a, a good thing to assume. All right. So we'll talk to him after the drop.
0: We let them folks change our vocabulary. Change our
3: vocabulary.
0: Uh, it's vintage
2: (afarers)
1: and the vocab word for today is box flat hello chris all right well we're here with chris Giorgulia, steve As always, and well, not as always, as as not as often as we'd like, <laughs> but uh, yeah, and and you know, we're the the figure this month, Chris, is you know Luke Bespin, and okay. uh, this has got us thinking a lot about box flats, right? Because there's a lot of these 12 inch figure uh, box flats that came out for The Empire Strikes Back, uh, unproduced line of 12 inch figures. And I, right. was, I was thinking, Chris, I'm going to try to explain box flats. And I, if I'm right, then you can just say that's right. But I've never really fully understood what they were. Steve, have you had the same problem?
2: I mean, I'm, I'm probably in the same boat as you as I, I have a, a general understanding, but there's probably specifics that, that uh, I don't have. Okay, so
1: as far as I can figure, Chris, these are not pre-production items?
3: Yeah, that's correct. I mean all boxes start off as box flats, you know? They get them from the printer, and then they just, you know, they're in their cases of them, and you just pull it out and unfold it and stick your toy in it. Okay. So so, so in regards to the 12-inch line, it's just packaging that, that was printed up and ready to go, but didn't go to that next step actually being used.
1: Okay, so then it they feel like proofs to people because they're something that isn't the production item without the actual toy, but they should not be confused with proofs in, in almost any way.
3: Well, I mean, there's probably some proofs out there that are actually, like, unused card bags. So it's it's almost the same thing, except the difference in the proof is you know, you'd have to actually put a, a blister on there. Right. And that's another process, where the box flat, you can literally fold it up and then take the contents out of a regular toy and you could transfer it, and you'd have a mint box.
1: Right. Totally. All right, so then, so if we're looking at, like, you know, we'll, we'll be having pictures on the Enhanced uh, podcast of the uh, of the Luke Bestman. so then, where did this probably come from? How many do, you, do we think are out there? I mean, if this was unproduced, right, why do we have this in this forward of a stage? Well, I
3: would say for the most part, probably because of He's Denny, the uh, collector from K- Kentucky, and he was one of the earliest guys, and he's probably one of the first guys digging prototypes out of Kenner, literally out of the dumpsters. Okay. I mean, tons of proofs that you have and seen, box flats, things. I'm not sure the box flats as much. I know proofs. He literally pulled things out of the dumpster at Kenner in addition to Buying stuff, you know, from his employees and and from flea markets. You know, he showed up, but one flea market guy had just like I think comic box long boxes full of just proof cards. You know, because
1: wow, when,
3: when you print materials, I mean, once you get the printing process going, you know, you it doesn't take long. You crank that stuff out. So it's just the way they do production, and it's all what gets saved and who saves it, and if he passes it along and. That's why you have so many of those boxes around. Right. Know, desirability is depending on, you know, what it is. You know, an unproduced 12-inch doll is going to have more desirability than, say, like, a box flat of, like, uh, an X-Wing fighter or something like that.
1: Right. Okay. So, there, so basically we don't know how many there are. But there's probably not more than a, than a handful, right, of this one in particular, or we just would never know.
3: Are we talk, you know, specifically Luke? Bestenbach? Yeah,
1: yeah, specifically, just as an example of an unproduced figure.
3: Um, it's hard to say what's out there. I'd have to say that I mean, just from what I've seen over the years, it had to be less than a dozen. Right. You know, probably, you know, half a dozen to a dozen. That's just a just a off-the-cuff guess just based on kind of, you know, because I know there's some in private collections. You see, add those up, you know, and then figure there's a few more beyond that, you know. doesn't probably not far off, but probably might be on the high side from what I'm guessing.
1: All right, so good. So it seems as though we we were pretty close uh, as as to how that goes. Now, I was also thinking, too, that, like, I mean, do do people ever sort of, because you could just fold these up, I mean, I've seen people sort of fold them up and make them into, like, look like toys that were actually made. I mean, what's the sort of experience with, like, box flats and how it sort of pertains to sort of, like, fakery? Have have you seen stuff like that?
3: Yeah, I have. I mean, there were some on eBay a while back, you know, a few years ago. Huh. Without naming names, I, uh, you know... It sort of goes into like one of these ethics things. Like, is it real? Is it not real? I mean, really, it's a printed item, but if you stick a toy in it to make it look like a full toy, does it? uh, It's sort of fakery in that in that respect. But I guess it depends on your point of view. Because I've heard opposing point of view it's like, well, you know, this is what it would have been, and here's the content, and right. Yeah, uh, but you can't say yeah. This came off the assembly line as as that, or you know, even I guess if you got it as a sample from some employee, literally though, it's it's probably the contents of something that was already existing, you know, just transferred.
1: Right, cause Cause it's I, hard to say. It is because you know I have like the Empire Strikes Back Chewbacca box flat. Um, so you know that was unproduced as well, at least as an Empire figure, at least in America and i mean my problem is it, it displays well but you know there's a lot of that kind of brown cardboard and i would never do it but it would look nicer if it was if it looked like the rest of the uh of the 12 inch chewbaccas that i have and it was all kind of all lined up and i've thought about you know getting a a star wars one and just removing it and setting it all up and uh yeah no it is it is an interesting quest- question of ethics
3: yeah uh, i uh but once you fold it, you can't go back, you know, it's it's yeah. just folded up. <laughs> yeah. You know, and it's going you to know, depend on your next, you know, whatever you do with it. Later on, you try to pass it along to somebody. You have to find somebody who wanted it because it was folded up, and you might find somebody like that, but then other people might look at it and say, well, you know, you took a, this unproduced thing, you folded it up and stuck it right around a, a production item, so it sort of loses its appeal, I think.
1: Yeah. And then the other thing, too, is, you know, this is vintage vocab, so we've just explained what a box flat is, um, but what is a toy shop scrapbook, Chris? <laughs> uh,
3: that is uh, years of my life, that's what it translates to. But uh, <laughs> basically, I guess most people know, um, what Toy Shop Magazine was sort of like the, the way to buy and sell toys and stuff, um, mostly throughout the nineties, you know, even from early, basically that 10 year span almost, you know, I think eBay came out 97, 96 was really early, but most really it started taking off, you know, i say 98, 99. Right. It really was, was, was hot. But before that, you know, toy shop was a, just like a newspaper print, um, Large, large format magazine that came out bi-weekly, even came out weekly for a while. Huh. Um, it was like Goldmine magazine. If anybody's a record collector, they you know they print that thing up, and basically dealers from all over the country, all over the world would put in ads. You know, like they would mail their photographs to the toy shop. They would do the old school layouts, you know, transfer all that stuff, and and basically you'd get. It's like the, the, the classified sections of your newspaper, but it would come to your door and um, you just scour through it and look and see, you know, what people were selling. It's just sort of like a print version of, of eBay, basically.
1: So, right. And so there and was some was, some some guy. I don't. I forget his name, but he actually like found a whole bunch of these and scanned them in. And then I don't know. It must have been some kind of maniac to like actually take all this time to do. It. Do you remember the name of that guy,
3: Chris? Yeah, yeah. You, you, you talk. You, I think you mentioned his
1: name almost every podcast. <laughs> almost but. every podcast. Yeah, that that, that yeah. was you, Chris. So, uh, as as much as you're getting out of this show for listening to it and and us trying to catalog the history of the vintage uh, hobby, if you haven't spent at least three hours on on the toy shop scans, you're really missing out. Because uh, a lot of it's funny, you know, uh, and a lot of it's like heartbreaking. Because you see these prices. Like I'm looking at a, a Leia Bespin first shot that's going for – looks like 300 bucks there. Um, and then some of it is like hilariously ludicrous and stuff that's happening now. Like someone was dumping C-3PO removable limbs in Kenner baggies and he says it's a great investment because C-3PO will be in all the new movies. <laughs> 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 Which Steve, I believe you mentioned that as something they were saying on episode seven for a reason why people should buy, you know, a, a C six Bosque toy. <laughs> um, but the reason why I bring, bring it up now is because there's actually some really cool ones with twelve inch uh, uh, Luke Bespins, and uh, I know. just um, I thought I would sort of kind of highlight those um, because there's even like a, a a Luke Bespin box flat here. Um, and then the minimum bid is $2,000. I don't know what it's sold for. Chris, did you keep track of what everything sold for? Did you try and track that, or was there any way to do that?
3: Oh, there's no way to do that. I no. mean, basically, I mean, that magazine came out. I mean, it was just, it was literally like going through the, the classified ads, and what I'd do is, like, after a while, I was like, man, I want to see certain things and keep track of them, and the only way to really do it was to cut them out and make, so just took just an old, just those old school photo albums, you know, those wax pages, and I cut, cut the ads out, and I cut like lines out of the ads, and, and sit there and put those things, you know, with an exacto knife and and, and lay them in there. So all that stuff you could scan. I mean, it, it all looks like separate. It's like me cutting these things out with an exacto knife from <laughs> larger ads, cutting out just a few items that I wanted to retain. And basically, I tried to retain everything. It was like. Really rare, or like bootleg, or unique. Right. But, I mean, uh, the stack of toy shops that I eventually threw out was about four feet tall. I mean, oh my it, god! It, it was a tremendous. I mean, I'd never do it again now, but I'm glad I did at the time because it was a really nice way to a snapshot in time of all that stuff. But it'd what I captured there is a fraction of the amount of Star Wars stuff that they that was actually sold. You know, I didn't. I didn't catalog all the different action figures and regular items, you know. I just wanted to save the really rare stuff. Oh, wow. Because, you know, well. the things I wanted to refer back to. And then, uh, Chris Nichols thought it would be a great idea to scan them in and, and make them available online. And that's how everybody's seen them. But before that, I was just toting around with me and show people, <laughs> you know, and, and have gatherings or whatever. And people really loved it. And yeah, yeah it become a great resource. You know, and I'm sitting here staring. Now there's a, a stack under my bed, probably ten issues that I never got around to that were early. And there's I had a list for a while saying these were the ones that I still needed. And I was uh Arno actually in France. He promised me he'd take his out of the out of the storage and send them to me so I could do that. And I guess with the, with the few ones I need left, you know, that, that I have left, I would actually go through those, but. I right. have to look through this I have to look through it like three times, and then you know, cursory glance, and go in there, and then mark all the pages that I wanted, and start going in there and cutting everything out. And, but um so, yeah, so, and so you're saying your your
1: job's not done, Chris. You have to go back and finish with the ones under your bed, right?
3: Uh, those few, yeah, <laughs> Good grief. I'm knock the dust off of those. I don't know. There may not be stuff. We're, you know, I think Toy Up started in 1988. Oh, wow. I didn't get my first issue until 91, I think, um, and then I subscribed to it, you know, and it came like my clockwork, but you had to, to get the good subscription, you had to get like the overnight subscription, which was ridiculously expensive, I just got the regular version so by the time I got it, the dealers and everything had been through it for for a week before I finally got my copy of it. Oh, right. There's stuff, to- there's stuff to get, but... Lots of box flats in there, lots of interesting unproduced stuff. I mean, it's uh, yeah. pretty easy to search for now if you look in there. You know, sort of itemized everything and just search on the text and you can sort of find.
1: Yeah. No, you know, it's it's, it's great. I mean, you could uh, you could get a Power of the Force Gamorian Guard for $125. C- <laughs> C9. <laughs> pretty crazy. Yep. Yep. Yeah, that's great stuff. Well, well, cool, Chris. I know you don't have that much time to talk, but I uh, just wanted to make sure we knew what we were talking about with box flats and do a little bit of ad advertisement. Uh, you can get to it by going to, but
3: uh, you yeah. can type "toy shop scrapbook" in Google and it comes right up.
1: You know what, Chris? That's a much better idea. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, definitely worth checking out, and and you, you could even, I mean, I would say listeners they could email us uh, the vintage pod at, at uh, gmail dot com. They could email us and say. Something they found in there that they thought was interesting that we should talk about because uh, you know there's tons of stuff in there and I've you know just every time I look at it, I see something new. So, so Chris, you you know the irony, right? You know what this basically is. What's
3: that?
1: It's basically the market watch before the market watch. <laughs> <laughs> if you
3: think the market watch is too long, <laughs> you should fast forward. So, uh, I think we should get, get Brisbane. You out of your audience. We members should, know that Sky put me up to that. I, I don't think
1: he plays a <laughs> drop anymore. So. <laughs> I, I did. I, I didn't play it last month, but we should get Brisbane, Brisbane, Mike, and Fantastic Pete to say if you think this uh, talking about yeah, the scrapbook is too it. long, you should pass <laughs> it out. Yeah, he didn't like that. He
3: emailed me. I was like, oh, it was just a joke. <laughs> I, I listened to the market watch. But.
1: I know <laughs> I, everyone does. It's uh, well now that we actually had them on the show. You know, I think it's uh, a little bit more relatable. But yeah right. no, it it's basically the proto market wash because it was the only way to really track sales at the time. So I think uh That's
3: right. yeah, just fine. It's more than that because you know, the reason I started it, I started seeing things that I'd never seen in print before. Huh. So it was like it was like the first time I'd seen like the like the the two up of the E V ninety nine. Like yeah. that was my had it that. Like, oh man, I'm gonna save that and I was like, Oh yeah, I should start saving more of these things. Right. And that's how it grew. But huh, it's uh so not not so much to looking at prices. I mean, but and it's a good it's a good snapshot in prices for those types of things. But yeah, the carded stuff and everything. It's crazy how what you could have done back then. You know, people say invest in, You know, nineteen seventy eight. If you'd have just, you know, you'd have bought the things in nineteen ninety five. They were way way. I mean, you'd, you'd do incredibly well now. Even in two thousand, you know, it's yeah you know, there. There's great stuff in there,
1: so alright, just available. So yeah, awesome. Well, we will uh, we will get back to the rest of our show, but thanks for uh, talking with us once again. And uh, very, I
3: appreciate
1: it. I'm sure we'll talk in the next uh, couple months.
3: <laughs> yeah, I'll right. still be rambling, I guess. <laughs> All right, thanks,
1: son. Steve. <laughs> thanks, Guy. All right, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Uh And you know that that conversation, Steve, uh, leads us quite nicely into. Into what, Steve? Our nuggets from the archive. That's right. Tis a nugget from the archive. Tis a nugget. Oh, my God, they're gorgeous. From the archive. Oh, my God, they're gorgeous. Uh, it's kind of funny. We wind up actually talking a lot about the 12-inch figure. Um, yeah, I mean it, it is really interesting, you know, that they didn't make these, you know, large size action figures, or as we also call them, Steve, dolls, dolls. Yes, <laughs> sorry, Lee. Um, boy, how long ago did we interview Lee? Steve, can you believe we've been doing this show for three years? God, it it is still
2: kind of crazy to think about.
1: It was funny when I said that we should interview, you know, the rather childish guy, and uh, I was like, boy, I hope we haven't already done that. Cause I feel like. Ah, I was just looking through our through our archives. It's funny we've uh, we've done a lot but anyways um it, it is a really interesting uh, figure and what we found here is there's a couple of pictures of the prototypes that exist, okay? So right. you know Gus has one and you know, a couple other people have one of this actual prototype set um which is actually featured in Gus and Duncan's guide to Star Wars prototypes um, which if you don't have you should get um, but actually, uh, Ron wrote up this this write, and it's on the great marble background, and it's a picture of a prototype Luke Bespin fatigues or tan costume Luke uh, that's never been seen before. And uh, w- right. how would you describe it, Steve? Well, it's
2: got you know the the regular outfit, but it's the uh, the boots that kind of distinguish it. The uh, the prototypes that have surfaced have uh, like actual. Um, molded boots that kind of try to mimic the, the, uh, the regular costume, but this has these kind of like fabric, uh, covers or I don't know how to describe it, but it kind of makes this one stand out as, as something maybe a little bit earlier because the, uh, the other 12 inch Luke's and I think the, uh, the Han also had that kind of molded boot,
1: right? The standard plastic molded boot. Now, Steve, uh, because I was watching the Blu-ray today doing research for today's episode, they have this thing where you can analyze the costume in detail. And that actually really? that actually looks closer to his boots than the molded boot that they show. Yeah, his boots are kind of funky. They sort of have too many straps. Um, I mean if you had to just define his best Bespin fatigues, his tan costume, it's, there's just too many buttons and too many straps. Um, <laughs> and yeah, so it's actually fairly close to it. And and what I like about it is that it's this picture is only available in the French toy licensee Meccano, right? In one of their uh, pamphlets, and yeah. just why i <laughs> you know why is this the only place you've ever seen this Luke? And again, it's and here it's not Luke Tenue Bespin; it's Luke Cloud City. It says yeah. Um, so this is just a really nice piece, and. Again, when you think about what's out there, what has not been found, uh, this particular prototype has never been found. Where is it? It's probably somewhere, I imagine, right?
2: You'd, you'd think so. so. Um, but yeah.
1: And, uh, and and we can't find it. So, But if you did find it, you could just fold up one of those box flats and put it in there. Oh, no. Wait. <laughs> uh, that's an ethical quandary. Um, and then, Steve, what I love is that... <clears throat> You know, ever since our poor Obi- Obi-Wan, we have tried to do a better job of actually talking about our figure of the month. Yeah. Um, but that being said, our unloved item has nothing to do with Luke. So let's hit our unloved no. item. You don't hate. Only the
4: unloved hate. The unloved and the
3: unnatural. The, unnatural. the unloved and The unnatural.
1: So, Steve, uh, you picked out something. I don't know how you got there or why you got there, but what is it that you found, Steve? (laughs)
2: I can never really explain how or why I get to these things, but I was, I guess, looking for something Empire because it was always the, the toughest to find uh, the funky things. But uh, I found this bank from probably the most boring licensee name ever, Metal Box Limited. Right, Metal
1: Box um, Limited. Like, <laughs> which the, is the name Metal Box doesn't sound limited enough.
2: <laughs> Metal Box Limited. No. <laughs> but, uh, it's this octagonal bank that has this really great artwork on it featuring all the, the Empire characters. It's got you know, Luke and Han in their Hoth gear. And I don't – some of these images, I I don't remember seeing them anywhere else before. Um, I could just be missing it. But uh, like do you recognize that Chewie, that Chewie pose that's on there?
1: Yeah, that's – I mean so it's it's line art, right? So it's, yeah. it's yeah. drawn. That is similar actually to the Chewie that is seen on the, uh, the fat Chewbacca uh, – Bootleg Peruvian board game. Oh, okay, um, and I've seen it other places too. The line art is familiar. Definitely the Yoda
2: I've seen yeah, before. Yeah, I'm thinking that pose. I I had this old comic book that I got at a swap meet that was it was you know before the Empire movie came out. But some of these poses look really familiar to the cover of that. And I'm thinking it might be they might be used in the same way. But right, I mean, yeah, it's, it's a really cool piece.
1: They're fairly standardized, but still, I mean, the fact that it's octagonal. Um. Yeah. Steve. I'm going to uh, to go too far here, but uh, for some reason it makes me think of uh, back in the early days of the Christian Church. They would always have uh, baptism rooms as octagonal because the, the Romans would always have their death rooms as oct- octagonal rooms. Um, <laughs> which is a long way of saying, if I have my, my uh, remains, uh, uh, I'd like to I'd like them in a uh, Empire Star Empire Strikes Back. Bank, Bank. <laughs> um, and and what's great is that, uh, you know, Steve, you were talking about, and again, this is the Star Wars Collectors Archive podcast, and you know, we we just talked this episode, or I just talked to people this episode uh, about. Having once been a part of another website, having been a part of the force, Net and being part of Rebel Scum. And there's great things that come along with that, Steve, right? I mean you, you get all this access and privilege and notoriety and hits and all that stuff. But the fact that our hobby primarily involves just goofing around on my favorite website its just the greatest thing. <laughs> it really is, yeah. And so I, I clicked when I saw that name, Metal Box Limited, um, which again is just – Really? You need to throw the limited on there? Um, (laughs) I noticed that there were other banks from the early 80s, and these are all posted by Duncan Jenkins. Um, Mm -hmm. He was not available for comment, Steve, Um, Uh, which is a way of saying that I contacted him tonight at 5 o'clock asking if he could record. uh,
2: I wasn't going to tell the audience that.
1: (laughs) Yeah. No, most of these things – yeah, it's, uh, well, you know, Steve, uh, my semester's starting back up again. Yeah. My daughter had to go to the hospital because she was dehydrated this week. Oh, no. My wife's skipping off to New York City to see stupid My Morning Jacket concerts, and I'm alone with the kids during the whole, you know, spring break, and I'm at work. I tell <laughs> you, this is a tough time for the old Skybar. But that being said, I, I wasn't able to really get these things prepared. Um, but I, I uh, was able to email – all he was able to say was that the, on these other banks – so Steve, I don't know how to describe these.
2: Yeah, I don't either really.
1: <laughs> so I there are other banks and on one side is a standard uh, shot from Empire of the Star Destroyer shooting at the Millennium Falcon. Right. And then on one side uh, of them, there's Yoda and next to Yoda, there's just these – two red dials and I I guess it's just a combination bank. Yeah, right. So I guess the only way you could so it's like a safe basically. Yeah. But it's really really flimsy. (laughs) Like holy cow, this is a flimsy bank. And uh, and Duncan said that uh, the combo locks are not very rugged and probably wouldn't keep someone's little sister out of it. (laughs) <laughs> so anyways, he said he'd be happy to be on the show. So, so we're going to see if uh, we can get the the king of the space freaks, Duncan Jenkins, to come and talk to us about another unloved item.
2: Oh, great. Um, That'd be awesome. Um,
1: and and the, what I love too, and we're going to show this in the, in the enhanced version, is the Darth Vader combination bank because it's just that picture of Darth at the top of the stairs and it's just all smoke and the red light and... I guess I've seen this particular image before, but I'm not sure, but this, he's really out of focus, and it's just the the silhouette, and just, it just reminds you of how great that whole scene is. I mean, even today when I was flipping around on the Blu-ray, I had to stop for the the Carbonite room uh, duel. Uh, It's just,
2: I think it's, I think it's one of the best, like, Filmed scenes in any of the movies, just the yeah. way it,
1: it is, it's in, great in any movie, ex- except for, of course, the part where Darth Vader yells when he has steam blown in his face. Ah, even that, ah, right? <laughs> it's uh, uh, yeah, but and then so if you look at the rest of the stuff that Metal Box <laughs> Limited makes, I mean, they make little <laughs> tiny stuff. Uh, Duncan Duncan said that maybe there are little pill cases for geriatric fans. Um, th- there's a great Luke Tin. Uh, there's there's a Luke macro tin, so I guess that's kind of like a bigger tin, and I don't know. He's got this sort of it looks almost like a 45 from a teen idol from the early 60s because he's got this sort of goofy like <laughs> you know kind of cute guy look, and then there's a uh, <laughs> let's see there's another Luke one. Oh wait, there's a, it's called a space trunk, space so, trunk. Yeah, I mean, what is Metal Box limited up to? Because on one side, you have, you have Luke in his tan costume and you got Leia and her bespin and Han in his Bespin. What is it? Okay. Well, listen. We're going to have to talk to the King of the Space Freaks at some point about what a space trunk is <laughs> because <laughs> there's no information. I, as much as I love the King of the Space Freaks, Duncan Jenkins, he's very famous for his pictures with no write-ups. And uh, I think that works for some people. But for us, we, we, we need, need more input. As, as Johnny <laughs> Five would say. Uh, wow. Well, Steve, you know, for, for having such a crazy week, like I just said, I'm actually full of vim and vigor. That's and good. Surrounded by my kith and kin. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I guess all that's left is. $1 flicks Market Watch. All right, Steve. Well, the technological problems continue to plague us today. Uh, I can't open up Fratastic Pete's market watch. Uh oh. Um, but fortunately, you know, Fratastic Pete stuff is, is not tied to one specific character, so we can kind of do a double Fratastic next month. Um, so I apologize to that. Um, I hope that you are enjoying the Wilds season. Um, Steve, what do you think about, about sports teams that don't have an S at the end of their name?
2: I'm not a fan.
1: Uh, yeah, I, do, we call, I mean, I, I mean, do I call them the Wilds or do I call them the Wild? I don't, I don't know. Uh, anyways, you can answer that uh, next month. Uh, P- I, I don't know why. It just won't open for me. But uh, Brisbane Brisbane Mike, this is a special month for him, Steve. First of all, uh, he's coming off the, the high of actually being on the show. Um, he is officially now mentioned – in the opening credits to the show. Uh, I assume his favorite rugby team is doing well, or soccer, or whatever the hell we talk about every month. <laughs> uh, and we are talking about his favorite figure, which is Luke That's Bespin. Right.
2: Yep. We got a good run of stuff here. Um, we will start off with the Empire figures. Uh, we got a 31B that was an AFA 85. Went for 865 wow cool. 65 so let's let's now we can
1: talk about it Steve. now we can talk about the walking down the hall versus the yeah. pointing so then this is a basic fact of star wars collecting that that uh, our new listeners may not know but the card back for luke bespin uh, or luke in his bespin fatigues as mike properly puts in quotes he was walking down the hall and then they changed it to, on the 32 back to Luke pointing a gun at your face, sort of pointing at you. And uh,
2: why do you think they changed it, Steve? I mean, I it, guess to make him seem a little more tough. I mean, he looks a little timid in that original card back, but I think that maybe more reflects the situation at hand. <laughs> yeah, I,
1: it really works better for me. And I love. In particular, on the twelve-inch box flats that you see, the little picture that they chose for just his face—he has got the goofiest looking, like "Oh, I don't know about this," and, and that's what the the walking foot. Yeah, yeah. That's what the for this figure, you know, obviously the in between white and black and the gray, and certainly when you listen to Lucas talk about it on the commentary while well, fast forwarding and annoying your children. Um, you know, he just talks about how the movie is really about Luke screwing up. Like Luke is doing the absolute wrong thing when he goes. He should not be there. He is giving into the dark side. He is doing everything wrong, um, which makes sense that you would want to sell that as a toy, and that you'd want to sell him with a gun pointing out at you because uh, <laughs> who wants who wants the official toy of walking down a hallway scared about your future? <laughs> <laughs> uh Wow, that's really cool, though. Man, I, I would love that. Anyways, um, <laughs> so uh, that's a long way of saying $875. Was that right? $865,
2: yeah. All right, that's an AFA uh, 85.
1: Now, what if it went down to an AFA 80? Would you have to pay less? Let's see. If you go down for an 80, it's $630. Yeah, so you jump, jump down a little bit. All right, and it's still 31 back, so it's mm-hmm. still the walking photo. Yeah. Uh, that's not too bad. Um what if you just got a different AFA eighty-five that was for seven hundred? So,
2: man, it seems really random.
1: Yeah, wow, that's crazy, huh?
2: Um, I have a few of these. There's, and then there's an AFA eighty that's seven seventy-nine. Right. Hmm. So it seems like people just sort of. This is a good reason,
1: actually, why you should use the market watch feature because you know that you can get a lot less. Um, And uh, it's nice. He actually provides a summary, and he said that the 85-860 was a nice piece, um, but uh, it seems seems pretty high. All right. So uh, if we went down to to 41 backs, uh, you know, there's like a 41 back with the gun photo, and uh, let's see that that sold for how much, Steve? That's like a
2: five sixty seven.
1: Wow, five sixty-seven, man. These are still pretty high. I guess people just really love the iconic figures.
2: Yeah, I think it's it's a good argument to be made.
1: Yeah, but Um, you could also uh, get one ungraded for one seventy-two, and ooh, the 4 LOM offer actually looks okay on this. Yeah, is that Hmm. sometimes the 4 LOM doesn't doesn't look good, but uh, they have a 4 LOM for three hundred twenty-five, one for three hundred eighty. But, you know, Steve, the whole last couple of months we've been talking about how cheaply you could put together a run for Bosque or IG-88. Yeah. Uh, that is not true for Luke Pest, Not so I much think. the case. <laughs> I don't think you could put together a huge run. <laughs> no, no. And, and he even mentioned that, that, that you know, it looks like more patience will be needed. Um, although, I don't know, the 48C yeah. went for 150
2: but see, then you go up to the, the 77 back for Jedi, they went for 230. So it's just, it's, there's no easy way out for, for Luke Best.
1: <laughs> yeah, I guess I never really thought about how popular this character was. I guess, you know, the main character in the most popular movie in the saga, that does make sense. That would be popular. Um, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, and then Steve, I, I think we really have to mention the Trilogo
2: Oh,
1: yeah. Uh, Because I actually almost every month whenever we talk about a Trilogo figure, I never really think about how different it is. Um, But uh, the Trilogo figure that was released in Europe. Yeah, yeah. This is just beautiful. It's a totally different photograph.
2: Completely different. And he looks even like more aggressive.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he looks – he's definitely pointing the gun much more at your face. And actually, you know what, Steve? I just read about this uh, on French Yahoo. There's this huge Playmobil scandal in Britain because on the front of a of a box, there's a, a robber hang, uh, holding up a bank guard at gunpoint, and uh, in you know in England, that's far too violent to have on the cover of a box. So there's demands for the recall. Huh. And I think maybe they would say the same thing if the if the Luke uh, Bespin fatigues were to come out uh, now because he he's pointing his gun directly at you like Hey kid, you want to <laughs> buy this? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, but yeah, but the tri logo sold for six hundred and forty five, and to be honest, that seems to be the first one that's worth its money.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, yeah, when you think about how how different it is and unique, um, yeah, it's huh. And presumably uh, a little bit more rare.
1: And the only sole prototype is the Revenge of the Jedi proof card. Yep. Which went for 425. Which again, uh, if people just want to get started in any kind of proofs, Revenge cards are a really good way to go because yep. uh, they're out there a fair amount.
2: And you can get just about any any of those, you know, first uh, batches of characters too, which is nice if you're looking for an early figure. Yep.
1: Well, awesome. Well, thank you very much, Brisbane, Bisbane Michael, for your excellent watching of the market. And uh, fantastic. we will join you next month with whatever you did for this month that I presume was, was good. <laughs> Quite good. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get to the feedback section. All right. All right, Steve. We got lots of good feedback this month. Definitely. uh, Well, it was cool, Steve. We actually – someone wound up posting to one of our old threads about uh, Snaggletooth. Yeah. And uh, this is just another beautiful – it was the Jared image this time, yeah? Yeah. And it's uh, pointing out that Snaggletooth's outfit is very similar to Michael Jackson's outfit in Thriller.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's impeccably close. It's like just, <laughs> <laughs>
1: and, and a couple months ago, you know, it was like we talked about how Doctor Who was the origin of Bosk's costume, right? And uh, I think there could be something here. So this little Photoshop work that Jared did, we'll put up on our show notes, uh, uh, is just beautiful because it is uh, Snaggletooth as as Michael Jackson.
2: Yeah, yeah, I think it's funny. It it all started. Chris Wilkins saw that (laughs) uh, Jared just happened to change, I think, his profile picture to Snaggletooth. And (laughs) he made the connection. And then, yeah, sure enough, right after that, we get this amazing (laughs) Michael Jackson Snaggletooth mix mix up.
1: If you're just listening to the show, if you're not going to our Facebook page uh, and checking out the – uh, the gallery de Jared, or if you're not going to the forum, and if you don't have the the enhance, you just you got to see these images because uh, let's see John Peck put together a a Twilight uh, parody with IG88 because <laughs> um, as you may remember we talked about last month IG88 according to Steve Sansweet, has a uh, has a glittery variant, um, a glittery paint variant which we didn't know about which made us think about. Uh, Ig eighty eight in twilight, you know, because the vampire's all sparkly, glowy with his skin, uh, and then that made you think about him playing baseball against uh, werewolves. And Jared came through with a great picture of uh, which, you know, to tell you the truth, that may have to be our, our fantasy baseball logo this year. Oh man,
2: that is pretty sweet. <laughs>
1: yeah, um, and uh, yeah, just a couple. You know, I love getting emails of people saying that they just listen to old episodes. <clears throat> Or old issues, as I pretentiously call them. Uh, let's see. Richard emails us and says that uh, he took a trip around Europe and listened to episodes 6 to 15.
2: Awesome.
1: Um, and he says that our features are great and the dynamic between us is amazing and interesting. Whoa. So I, I like that. I don't know why you gave your best Keanu Reeves impression. but uh, <laughs> That's what I was going for. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, but I like you. That's, that's good I you know, I met Alex Winter once, the the, the guy who plays uh, Bill from Bill and Ted. Oh, yeah? <laughs>
0: uh,
1: actually, I met him at the Cannes Film Festival, huh. um, which is, this is potentially the second time in this show that i mentioned the Cannes Film Festival because I may be mentioning it tomorrow. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I was pretty excited to meet him. <clears throat> um, we had no responses, Steve, to the vintage chess set, except Ollie, uh, our faithful uh, uh, listener, Sent us something about a, a Lego Hoth chess set.
2: Oh yeah, that's
1: right. Which is cool, but come on, vintage pod listeners, let <laughs> us know about uh, about what we should do about that. Uh, so we got a <laughs> got a really nice long email from uh, from James, where he talks a little bit about his his vintage memories, um, and just sort of that he's kind of catching up. And he says that listening to your podcast has inspired him to. Uh, complete his collection and to give the 4-year-old boy the collection he always dreamed of. Um, so that's just great. Uh, he's out of Sheffield in England. Um, which I believe is next to Gary England. Um, so, that was a baseball joke for you Steve. Get Gary Sheffield. <laughs> the dork with with uh, <laughs>
2: I didn't hear that first part. Oh, okay.
1: <laughs> the dork with with braces from uh the Oh, Okay. All right. Because, um, you know, if Gary Indiana moved next to Chef Greenland. Oh, yeah. And speaking of sports, Steve, uh, Martin Thurne, who, uh, you know, we still, it's been a couple months, we've been waiting to talk to him about his amazing zine that he came out with a couple of years ago. Oh, boy, it must have been longer than a couple of years ago, but set many couple of years ago, uh, which could be seen as almost a sort of prequel to what we're doing uh, in print. Um, and, uh, why don't you quote this one, Steve?
2: Right. Hi, Sky and Steve. After listening to the Bosque episode, here's some feedback. One, the cast is, is too long already. Please drop the fantasy sports crap. Looking forward to the next one, <laughs> Smiley Face. <laughs> and I knew it was for Martin because I think I, that Smiley Face, I've seen him use that particular form before. I'm like, I wonder if that was from Martin.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, Steve, I said earlier in the episode that I like J.J. Abrams and George Lucas because they're withholding, and they don't always give the audience exactly what they
2: want, Steve. Oh, no. See, this this is the (laughs) tie-in. Yeah, and this is the tie-in. It's
1: all right here. So, no, the fantasy sports crap has to stay. You know why? Because if we took out the fantasy sports crap, you would actually miss it because you would say, (laughs) I have no reason to skip the end of the episode, (laughs) But once you know that, we start talking about it. Yep, uh, it's your cue. Yeah, but but don't worry, audience. Uh, we just uh, the season hasn't started yet. Not quite. Um, although, Dad, uh, have you have you started? Have you signed up, Steve?
2: I did sign up. Yeah, I, I uh, just I'm sticking with the line of deflector shields for now.
1: And I, I went with a controversial new name, Steve. Oh, really? I don't
2: think I've seen yours yet.
1: Well, I realized that I can no longer name myself after. Known Red Sox Mm. because I've won three years in a row (laughs) and I have this conflict in my heart and so I tried to pick a figure who could kind of match that. So I am now Babe Proof. Oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I'm doing it partly to antagonize the Yankee fans, of which there are many uh, in our in our little group. Yeah, there are
2: there are a few. Yeah, uh,
1: and I, I photoshopped an old Leaf baseball card from like I don't know 28 or something, and I changed it so it says Babe Proof, and then I photoshopped the Yankee sign out, so it just looks kind of blurry. Because um, of course was first and foremost a Red Sox, you know, like Kevin Nucleus, once a Red Sox, always a Red Sox. Um, but uh, yeah, so I, I may change it before the season starts. But uh, I just thought, I just, I really, I mean, I want to win, but I also really want not to win because I always root for the underdog, and I'm just definitely not the underdog anymore. Uh, uh, all right, good stuff. so. We heard you loud and clear, Martin. More, more fantasy baseball stuff. Uh, I wasn't reading too close. I think that's what you said. Um, but yeah, and so I think that, that leads us up to next month, Steve. Who's our figure next month?
2: I was hoping you would, you would know. <laughs> you
1: know. I'm actually picking up Kellerman right now. I had to put good, my, uh, my thing of water out. I'm going to flip through Kellerman. No, we've already done Jawa. We've already done – we're on to page 35. Past page 37 of Kellerman, and it is Han Solo in Hoth outfit. All right. Aha. So, once again, we could dip our toes into the box flat. Uh, ooh, one of my favorite threads from a long time ago involves a, Hawks, a Hoth box flat. Uh, do you remember that one, Steve? Uh, maybe, maybe not. What's th- oh, it, it ended with the line. Clearly, this is not. This box flat is not for the members of this forum. <laughs> um, which is just great ooh we got some good ones coming up Steve I can't wait but you know what I also can't wait for I can't wait to go to bed because it's like midnight I had, I had a feeling so yep. uh, yeah it's, it's been a good episode I hope you guys enjoyed the interviews and uh, thanks for staying with us as we sort of rebrand ourselves as the vintage pod and, and stay true to our core values which is annoying you with fantasy baseball <laughs> wampa wampa Audience adios
2: Star Wars figures, r 2 2
3: Chewbacca, Luke, and
0: Princess Leia. They're the Star Wars early bird set of figures. The action figures are not yet available, but this Star Wars early bird certificate packet is in stores with its colorful Star Wars
3: picture display pack and certificate.